Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 21st at time of recording. Super awesome podcast coming at you guys today. We're going to talk about some football, NFL Week 15 in the books this past weekend. We'll recap what we saw on the football field with both Donnie's Giants and my Eagles getting wins. Super excited to touch on that. Also some World Juniors prep in this one. Can't wait for World Juniors to get going the day after Christmas. Some hockey prospect chat. We'll end up talking about some baseball after that. Quick little signing uh, in the MLB offseason before we get into our questions uh, as we do. So getting you guys ready for another fun podcast. With all that said, I'm now here and ready to welcome on my awesome co-host, my great friend, Donnie. Donnie, how are you doing today, my man? Um, much better. Obviously, you know, the last couple of days for, for the listeners, you know, coronavirus has uh, officially it, it, it got in my body uh, after we, we made it two and a half years, which is I'd say respect, honestly, like I, I think it's uh, the grind that I have have gone without getting coronavirus is impressive. Um, unfortunately, it has officially it, it's officially made it, it's taken its toll on me. Uh, we're a little bit better now. We've kind of grinded through. Uh, if you know nobody knows this, but I, I was growing a beard out beforehand, had to shave because my face was so hot with with COVID, just everything like I was getting hot flashes and I couldn't I couldn't function. So that was that. Uh, but otherwise, we are we've grinded past it. We have we've survived. We have uh, conquered the coronavirus, and now we're here with another podcast, episode one thirty. RK, it's a crazy crazy. We we've been on a run here. Well, one thirty. You know, we've talked one hundred twenty nine times. To just about sports it's crazy how we can do this yeah we're uh gonna keep going it's uh it's nice that's the streak that still lives not your covid free streak which has come to a close even though you're feeling better now which is obviously great love to see that and i'll you know what i'll say we can start with your new york giants they ended up getting a win over the weekend against the washington commanders very strange football game as usually we see between teams like the giants and the commanders obviously they had that tie earlier this year at metlife and the giants returned the favor going on the road to washington and and even do some more damage as they end up getting the win in this game. Nice to see Saquon Barkley kind of get back to Saquon Barkley form a little bit. I thought in this game uh, after I know dealing with a, a little bit of injuries, being a little bit banged up the last few weeks, but uh, Giants able to uh, get a big win sure puts them in a much better position now where they should be able to get one of the wild card spots with just a few weeks to play. But overall impressions from you, Donnie, how'd you feel about how the Giants looked uh, this weekend? Yeah, not bad. Obviously, uh, the win puts them at uh, an 86% chance of making the playoffs. Obviously, they still have to take care of business a little bit here and out. There are um, a couple question marks, I would say, about the rest of their season. You know, I'm not, I'm not thinking I'm overly confident about them beating, you know. Well, let's, let's just be honest here, RK. They're not beating the Eagles in the last week of the season, so it comes down to that and they need a win. It's going to be a real, it's gonna be a real battle. Um, but, you know, with the Vikings and Colts, hopefully they can take one of those games. But what I will say is the media has kind of taken the narrative of this game and turned it to a point where uh, the commanders were screwed or something along those lines, uh, which is fair enough. I guess if you want to argue one specific play where there was a pass interference call that was not called late in the game, even though this happens all the time, this is football, especially the NFL uh, late game in sports in general. We see the whistles go away every single game there's not a game where they're calling penalties late and and, you know the truth of the matter is even if the commanders had 
uh, scored there. They would have had to go for two, maybe going to get there, maybe not. Who knows? And again, you could even look back at other instances in the game uh, a little or even earlier, like, you know, Taylor Heineke getting stopped at the one by Kayvon Thibodeau instead of, you know, maybe there was a chance looking back at the replay. Had he uh, not gone for the sideline, had he looked to try to cut in a little bit uh, earlier, he would have almost uh, assuredly made it in the end zone without getting touched. Uh, given the circumstances. And again, you can also look back at like the Heineke fumble uh, late in the game that kind of gave the Giants uh, momentum and, and handed them another another chance at life, uh, given the fact that the offense kind of sort of wasn't really doing it uh, for large parts of the second half. The second half was a very abysmal football game if you want offense. So you know, it is what it is. I don't, I don't necessarily sit here and say, oh, you know, the, the commanders got screwed or anything because football is football. A uh, late game, you know what you're getting. Don't throw a, a single coverage. Uh, don't throw that pass if you're not uh, at least aware that they could not call pass interference, given the fact that I, I think you could argue that there's a penalty on pretty much every play in the NFL, whether it's a holding call or a pass interference call or a defensive, um, you know, we see offsides calls all the time that are a little bit missed guys jump a little early it's it's just a it's a nuance of the football game it's a nuance of the imperfections that referees um do provide i mean let's be realistic we're still measuring with chains in 2022 like the game is not perfect the game is a very human error led sport and the giants came out on top of this one solely because they were just a little bit stronger throughout the game. I don't think anybody's really arguing. The Giants were a slightly better team in this one. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau took the game over, ended up being Defensive Player of the Week or one of the Defensive Player of the Week honors. So a lot of respect there. Um, but from from just a, a Giants standpoint, you know, happy to see the win. I'm sure you uh, saw it from my perspective, just a, an even football game that anybody could have won. The Giants ended up winning. Yeah, very low scoring game. Neither of these teams have kind of like super prolific weapons. I would say even the commanders probably have a little bit better in terms of wideouts. Jahan Dotson had a pretty strong game, the first round rookie uh, for Washington in this game. Terry McLaurin was a little bit kind of uh, surprisingly quiet, had also a big penalty himself near the goal line towards the end of the game where he thought he was up on the line of scrimmage. He wasn't illegal formation, a touchdown gets called back and, you know, Washington, they're not able to end up punching it in. So uh, from that standpoint, Giants were able to kind of grind it out, kind of took on the uh, uh, winning ways that we saw earlier in this year from the Giants where they're kind of winning games ugly, you know, running the ball with Saquon Barkley and just kind of finding a way to uh, get enough defensive stands. And you said at Kayvon Thibodeau, probably one of the best games we've seen from him uh, in the NFL uh this uh past weekend against washington great performance uh from him giants moved to eight five and one in a good spot now where they should be able to uh you know win and get into the playoffs at least as you said with the a couple of the upcoming games eagles also you mentioned that they have that head-to-head -head game who knows if they will even be playing their starters for that game because we don't even know if their starting quarterback jalen hurts will be playing at all this upcoming weekend because Eagles were able to get a win this past weekend against the Chicago Bears. I was able to be in attendance for it with my dad. Really good experience. Even though the Eagles didn't necessarily play their best football, they were able to come away with the win, stopping Justin Fields just enough times uh, in this one. But the news coming out of the game is that Jalen Hurts has a sprained right shoulder. Seems like he's going to maybe put forth enough effort to where he could try to play. But given the fact that the Eagles were able to win, the Cowboys also lost this past weekend against the Jaguars. The Eagles now have a three-game lead against Dallas uh, with the head-to-head game in Dallas coming up this weekend so still up in the air if we will see Hertz or Gardner Minshew uh, for the Eagles but bottom line is they got a win and uh, they are in a great position to where they should be able to lock up the one seed uh, in the next couple of weeks even uh, if it doesn't include uh, you know beating Dallas head-to-head -head, which uh, seemed like it may have been the case a few weeks ago so that's obviously good news on an Eagles front uh, other than that 
uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is injured, even though it doesn't seem too terribly long-term. Uh, obviously, you hope that uh, he gets back healthy because uh, he's been such a big reason as to why the Eagles have been so good uh, to this point. So uh, just a couple notes there on our teams in the NFCs, but it was a crazy weekend, a lot of absurd finishes. Uh, and one of them was the biggest comeback that we've ever seen in NFL history, not an exaggeration, which normally might be, but literally the Minnesota Vikings came back down from 33 nothing at halftime against the Indianapolis Colts. Of course, Matt Ryan is the Colts quarterback. He unfortunately blows this game as he did the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So he's kind of the face of two of the biggest collapses or blown point leads uh, in NFL history. So that's a tough look for him. Vikings, very interesting second half. Um, Dalvin Cook had some explosive plays. Justin Jefferson was very involved. We also saw KJ Osborne uh, as involved in that offense as we've seen really uh, at any point this year, obviously representing the U for, for Donnie uh, there. But Vikings, I mean, I don't know what to say much about the Vikings. Like they're such a weird team. Like they have such a good record, but like I still feel like they kind of suck. And like, even though they had this extreme comeback, like you shouldn't have been down 33, nothing to the Colts at any point. Like it, it still just seems like, like what are the Vikings? Like, I, I feel like it just, doesn't seem like they're in a, in a recipe for any kind of long-term success uh, once we get to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, we did know they were capable of getting this, the, the, the piss beat out of them. Uh, you look back a couple weeks ago against the Cowboys. That was yeah. a game where they did not come back. There was zero comeback in that game. They looked absolutely abysmal. Uh, but I, again, I guess like there are, there's good and bad. I'm sure Vikings fans are sitting here, like not really caring about what happened in the game because they ended up winning, but it's a, it's a little bit of uh, just, it's kind of mind blowing to me. Realistically, like you're probably not going to win a game. Uh, obviously, no Jonathan Taylor, so that that was a a big issue there. Uh, Zach Moss ended up carrying the ball 24 times. Maybe Zach Moss shouldn't be touching the ball 24 times in a, in a football game. Period. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a recipe for success, um, especially given the fact that if you want to look at how they were successful in the first half, it was kind of just like not giving the ball to the running back who got three yards per carry it was a little bit of a they had a little balance going they were kind of sort of dinking the ball up and down the field uh, obviously you know you go up 33 you're, you go into the halftime you're thinking oh like this game's over maybe they took the pedal off the gas a little bit uh, Jeff Saturday you know not not looking real good for him I would say long term I'm thinking the interim tag will be uh that, that's all he's getting out of this one there's not going to be a long-term coaching job out of this for him but yeah you know the Vikings, it's not like they had a whole lot of pressure on them to win or lose the game. The Vikings are kind of in a position where they could do whatever they want, really, um, rest of the season. And the division is theirs now already, but it would have been theirs regardless. But, you know, you like that. I, I, if you're Kirk Cousins, you know, you got to be got to be sitting there like, yeah, you know, we can beat anybody. We can lose to anybody. It's kind of just like the Vikings are a fun wild card. And, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see them lose to somebody that they are uh, significantly better than in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt about that. Definitely an interesting team to, you know, be in the mix, uh, as it certainly seems like uh, they will, uh, they'll be hosting a playoff game, right? So uh, we'll see how, uh, how it ends up working out for them. But there's times where they've looked terrible this year. There's times where you're like, wow, this offense is incredibly dynamic, because they have such superstar players like Jefferson and Cook. But, uh, you know, we haven't necessarily seen it over a, a, an extremely consistent period of time, which has always kind of been the knock uh, against Kirk Cousins. But to his credit, he was able to, you know, muster up enough uh, offense at the end of the game where, where the Vikings were able to pull it out uh, in overtime. So another big collapse around the NFL, uh, just 
bouncing around a little bit even more actually came with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Definitely a surprising game uh, for them. Tom Brady had the Bucks in a position where they're up 17-3 at halftime. Then comes the third quarter and everything just falls apart for the Bucks. Joe Burrow is able to kind of rally the Bengals uh, through four touchdowns in the game. But the Bucks turned the ball over four times in total. It just seemed like they had nothing left at many points of this year. We've noticed that from the Bucks, where you're just like, seems like with the personnel they have, it, it shouldn't be this challenging for them uh, to be able to, you know, generate offense. And even defensively, it uh, seems like to me they have enough playmakers, but uh, have not been able to kind of turn that into any kind of consistent success. Another, you know, blown game for the Buccaneers in this one uh, record now at six and eight, but still in a spot where they, you know, kind of have a good chance to make the playoffs because uh, their division, the NFC South, is so terrible. So nice comeback win for the Bengals. But I do want to touch on the Bucks here real quickly, Donnie. Like, what is your thoughts on the Bucks? Like, is this team even good enough to where they can win the NFC South? Because it just seems like nothing's going right for them right now. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird because I think both of you, you and I would have been like, yeah, you know, this division, it's theirs. Beginning of the year, you would have, would have thought maybe two or three games. We were thinking maybe the Saints would be uh, the second best team in the division. It doesn't really look like there is a second best team or even a best team in the division. They all look like uh, this division may be worse than, than two years ago's NFC East, which is hard to believe given the fact that, uh, you know, we were sitting there every week. Uh, maybe less the Eagles because they were they were having a real tough time doing anything. But like as a Giants fan, I was like, okay, so so we're we're gonna win six games in the division. Like is that what's gonna happen? Yeah. Uh, this year it looks like the Buccaneers. Uh, I feel bad a little bit for Bucks fans because I think you were expecting a little bit more. Obviously, like you you've got your win. It doesn't really matter. But Tom Brady, it's not looking good. It's really not looking pretty for Tom Brady. I think we could have said this, um, you know, years ago. Uh, we're waiting for him to fall off. We're waiting for him to fall off. Maybe we're really seeing like this. This is regardless of the statistics because he is throwing 50, 55, 60 times a game. But like Tom Brady does not look like he knows what he's doing. Uh, the offense definitely looks worse than last year. Obviously, coaching change going to be a big part of that. I don't think there's any surprise there. But man, it's uh, if you're a Bucks fan, there's nothing really good to take away from anything that ever happens in Tampa Bay football now. Yeah, it's really rough. The Bucks offense this year, the fifth fewest points scored uh, in the NFL overall. To put it into perspective, the Bucks have less points scored this year uh, than the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, you know, they're uh, having a terrible year themselves. But both of them are at a 6-8 and eight record. Um, but yet the Bucks still in a position right now where they would be hosting a playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys, the number one wildcard team, and a team they beat head-to-head way back in week one. So lots of interesting uh, things to kind of play out. Uh, I'm sure that Dallas would be the heavy favorite of those teams matched up again but uh just kind of that threat of brady against the cowboys is always kind of still out there where uh you could kind of pull it out and uh, you know but it just has been really really bad on the football field this year for the bucks so um you know just wanted to touch on that another tough defeat for him uh, at home uh, against joe burrow and the Bengals uh, over the weekend okay it's time to talk about jacoby myers O'Donnell. i think we've we've killed enough time where we got to talk about this patriots raiders game which to begin with to even set up was a dumb game. The Patriots ended up having a lead. The Raiders score a touchdown with Keelan Cole that I'm pretty sure was out of bounds, but they still call it a touchdown, even though they reviewed it. So it gives the Raiders, all right, we've got a, you know, a little bit of a chance now. All of a sudden it's a tie game. Patriots running out the clock. They give it to Ramondre Stevenson, who ends up making a little bit of a, of a play out of just a draw, decides to pitch it back to Jacoby Myers, which already to begin with, it's a tie game. So it's like, you, you're just going to overtime here. Like you guys, you don't need to score a touchdown. You're not going to lose the game. And Jacoby Myers, Post game says he was just trying to be a hero. And in trying to be a hero, he chucks the ball back 30 yards to Chandler Jones, who's waiting for it on the Raiders. And he stiff arms Mac Jones, runs it the other way. It's a touchdown. 
literally one of the worst plays that probably has ever happened in pro football. Uh, I would bet it would even rival some of college football's biggest blunders. Uh, maybe even some high school tape uh, would be interesting to kind of compare this with Jacoby Myers, but just the low awareness here that it's a tie game, obviously if the Patriots were trailing, you know, that's obviously the play. It obviously didn't work out well, but not when it's tied Jacoby Myers, not much to be said uh, on that one. That was uh, pretty brutal, which is too bad because he actually had kind of a decent game as a receiver and, and really has all season for the Patriots receiving board that's been pretty bad but Donnie what do you have to say about how this game finished between the Pats and the Raiders yeah it's crazy to think about just in general because so the Patriots they, they went from having what would have ended up being like nearly a 45 50 percent chance to make the playoffs had they won the game given the fact that they did still have a game against the Dolphins who they will be competing with the rest of the year to make the playoffs uh, to down to 19 percent 19 percent is not pretty especially when you just lost the game on one of the most disgustingly uh, grotesque football maneuvers in, in the history of football. Um, generally speaking, I think we should just like try to get rid of the lateral play in general, if we can, if we can help it, or at least like in, in any situation where you can't, you can hill marry the ball to the end zone. Uh, we should never be thinking lateral play, uh, but just, uh, you kind of got to sort of feel bad for Jacoby Myers because you do understand, like he, he understands that the, the ramifications of his decision, the, the it, it's obviously not something that he was uh, really aware that was going to happen i don't think he was expecting Ramondre to pitch him the ball backwards which was a very bizarre situation i haven't heard a whole lot of people ask Ramondre like hey like why didn't you just run out of bounds you got 25 yards you know you made fantasy owners really happy for a second there you got some uh got some last second garbage time points could have went to overtime instead um you know throwing the ball to Chandler jones the, the stiff arm is the funniest part of the whole thing because mac jones quite literally had zero zero chance and if i was mac jones if getting stiff arm there it's like a pretty good indication of how the season has gone for him. He's had uh, consistent stiff arms from his, his coaching, not being able to call him plays to his receivers and, and sometimes even the running backs not being able to make plays to now uh, losing a game that they desperately, desperately needed to win uh, puts them at seven and seven instead of uh, potentially eight and six. And also just on the converse, it's hilarious that the Raiders are going to screw their pick a little bit up uh, just because they, they decided, Hey, we're going to get handed a win. Um, instead of being a five-win team, which would put them as the fourth worst team in the AFC, they are now a six-win team, which ties them with the Browns, the Steelers, the Jaguars, and all the other teams across the league uh, for, for draft position. Uh, the Raiders desperately need that draft position because that team is really not very good. It's just, it's like a lose-lose for everybody in the team. The Raiders won the game on one of the most crazy, like, how does that, how does it even happen? Um, somebody's got to get cut. Somebody's got to get fired. Somebody's got to get yelled at. Like, it's just... You gotta. I don't feel bad for Patriots fans because they've had a lot of success. But like, if you're a Patriots fan and you're like just watching the game, hoping for the best, that is the most depressing play maybe ever in sports, ever. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty brutal. And like you said, like who on the Patriots are we holding accountable? Is it the offensive coordinator who's really a defensive coordinator in Matt Patricia? <laughs> is it the quarterback coach who's really a special teams coordinator in Joe Judge? Is it Mac Jones who's had a terrible year? Is it Jacoby Myers? Probably Jacoby Myers is probably most involved here. On this there, there's some blame for everybody. There's some but, blame. For I everybody. mean, gosh, like it's just like everything that's been said, like for it to happen for Bill Belichick's team against Josh McDaniels leading the Raiders, like they, I, above all this, like if the Raiders lose, who knows? Josh McDaniels maybe already on the high 
hot seat in for the Raiders because like they've got too much talent where you know it shouldn't have been this bad this team made the playoffs last year uh with an interim coach in itself after John Gruden got fired so I don't know there was just like it was just uh everything was kind of coming together like it was the, everything that happened in the tuck rule game just totally reversed on the Patriots in this moment they had enough success with Brady that it's finally kind of coming down on him and this was really kind of the culminating moment and as you said the stiff arm from Chandler Jones that was really just like a all right that the stiff arm itself is like that would be like a highlight play let alone including the blunder from uh Jacoby Myers so yeah I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that uh ever again uh between the Patriots and Raiders it was funny actually I was streaming the game on my laptop on uh, on red zone as anyone would do on a Sunday afternoon who, who you know was just pulling the game up on their laptop and my my stream you know as it happens on Sunday sometimes it goes down temporarily and this was literally right as the play happened I turned the game back on finally it refreshes and they're like what a crazy finish the Raiders win and I was like what in the world and then I've seen everybody on Twitter blowing it up obviously I end up seeing the play and uh, that was just kind of a funny little moment for that to be a play where it's like oh your stream goes down for two minutes uh, before it comes back up so that was definitely a uh, an interesting moment to say the least uh, between the Pats and the Raiders how that game finished up okay last game we want to touch on in the NFL before we get into some world junior hockey stuff is the Bills and the Dolphins because Josh Allen just continues to just carry the team of the Buffalo Bills on his back. He had four passing touchdowns in this game, also led the team in rushing, which he does more often than he doesn't this year with the Bills. Uh, They're able to clutch it out uh, in the end where the Bills in a 32-29 win over their division rival in the Dolphins. So uh, the Bills, again, just continuing to prove, you know, why they're one of the NFL's elite. Uh, and it seems like it's in pretty legit fashion, playing strong defense overall. Uh, and Josh Allen really just kind of carrying them uh, the way through. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because uh, it was pretty much what I would consider a must win uh, for the Bills, given, you know, you want to win your conference, you want that first round bye. Uh, these are games that you need to clutch up against, especially given the fact that I think the Chiefs uh, have Seattle, Denver and Las Vegas left on their schedule. So three, what I would consider games that they should uh, win semi handily, maybe. Uh, you know, you I guess you could argue uh, Seattle's been a little bit better than expected, but still, regardless, um, a definite must win for the Bills and a really interesting situation because coming into the game, everybody was talking about, oh, there's gonna be cold, there's gonna be some snow. Ended up being uh, pretty nice on the field actually until the end of the game when it started snowing out of nowhere. And the the best part was, I love it when you've got the linemen and everybody coming out and try to clear off the kick spot yeah. at the end of the game for for a little field goal in the snow. You you get guys down on their knees, they're rubbing off the grass and everything trying to make sure that the like nothing better nothing better than than late season uh snow football i want to give props to the miami dolphins for competing as they did in a situation where you would have kind of said oh like this they're out of their element like miami it's 85 degrees right now uh they go to buffalo it's it's negative temps and it's snowing it's snowed a foot and change um you see a really good game out of pretty much everybody like raheem mostert had what i would say is probably the most productive game uh per snap of his season at least uh to kind of figure it out maybe a little bit slow uh time to time there you would kind of expect to to struggle against the buffalo bills defense at a game in buffalo in the snow but it could be a really interesting maybe a preview of a playoff uh, playoff game later in the season i wouldn't be shocked if the dolphins ended up knocking off uh, whoever they end up playing in the first round if they do make the playoffs i wouldn't be shocked uh, to see a rematch a little bit later on and and just in general like you know, it's hard for the Dolphins to be considered like legit, legit because they have kind of let off the gas against some teams. We did see them lose to like the Chargers uh, the week prior, and we've seen them struggle a lot against like good teams this year. But uh, it's nice to see like that division is so competitive 
to a point where like I'm surprised. Like it's really shocking to see the Jets competitive in the division. It's always surprising to see the Dolphins good because I feel like they've been bad like our entire lives. So it's nice to see them kind of taking a step forward uh, and showing that they can compete even if they did lose this game to the Bills. Yeah, I agree. The Dolphins are uh, kind of fun to watch regardless. Obviously, the Tyree Kill factor, but also Jalen Waddell and Raheem Mostert just brings a ton of speed to that offense that uh, makes it fun to watch. Um, so seems like they'll be able to make the playoffs, but uh, maybe not necessarily too, too deep a run. But I guess we'll see uh, from the Dolphins, as you just mentioned, back-to-back losses here at the end of the year. We'll see if they can turn it around uh, and, uh, you know, get the ship fixed before we get into the playoffs obviously you're going to need to beat some you know top tier AFC teams which they haven't been able to do the last two weeks so tough there for the Dolphins but uh on that note let's uh move on from football really really good week of NFL football so I wanted to make sure we highlighted that at the top uh could have been a handful of those games we could have let off with but um all of them were uh were good entertaining football this past weekend all right Let's move over to the World Juniors now, getting ready for that. The exhibition matches have started to get underway. The tournament this year is in eastern Canada in Moncton and Halifax. Uh, So it is starting to get going, obviously, uh, or maybe not obviously, but World Juniors usually gets going the day after Christmas. So uh, December 26th is when the uh, tournament round will start. uh, And we'll start just kind of going down, talking about a couple of the top teams, starting with the favorite, which is going to be Canada. Absolutely low. Loaded roster, as you would expect from Canada, starting on the back end, Brant Clark, Nolan Allen, Kevin Korczynski, three first-round defensemen uh, that they have, a lot of experience uh, from that group. Uh, and then up front, a couple other first-rounders and Brennan Othman, New York Ranger prospect, Shane Wright, Dylan Gunther, Zach Ospichuk, and Reed Schaefer. So handful of very talented forwards and former first-round picks, and not to mention two of the top draft-eligible prospects in this draft, and Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli as well. Canada, the oldest team in this World Junior Tournament, and also the heaviest team. So even though they have a lot of skill, should be able to throw around the body a lot. A lot to like in Canada's roster, Donnie. Any of those players uh, kind of stand out as guys you're excited to watch on Canada's squad? Yeah, you know, I am interested to watch Brennan play. Uh, I watched him uh, quite a lot, hoping that he would make the roster this year. It was There was always a chance, and he did kind of stick around with um, in camp a little bit, which was surprising because I don't think uh, usually you feel like the contending teams or at least teams that are sort of kind of like always uh, near the top of the, the conference, at least which the Rangers should be at this point. And for the foreseeable future, you don't see 19 year olds make the roster, but uh, there was like a serious, serious chance. He really fought it out for the roster this year. It would have been interesting to see him make the team. Uh, so you're talking about a guy that is probably very close to NHL ready, uh, getting to play with what is clearly a- a- Maybe the most incredible, like, it's going to be tough. The Canada should walk this tournament. They should pretty much dominate. Um, you love uh, always rooting for the USA. I'm going to be here rooting for the USA regardless. It is fun to watch guys like Luke Hughes play. Uh, he scored a nice goal in, in the, uh, I think that, I don't remember who they were playing today, but I, I saw him score today um, in, in one of their warm-up games. It, it was very nice watching him just completely obliterate everybody and score. Um, but it, it's tough to really go into the World Juniors, like, optimistic about anybody beating Canada, especially because, like, you know, we're, we're talking Bedard, who, who will, will very clearly dominate everybody. He doesn't really care who he's playing against. It just looks like he has all this confidence. Every single clip you see of him uh, playing, it just, like, 
he just knows that he's a little bit better than you. He just knows. And I'm sure the players playing against him are very afraid. Uh, a la, you know, you're going up against a Connor McDavid or a uh, Sidney Crosby-esque player. You know you're going to be in for some trouble. And it looks like he's very much set up to be the same type of player once he hits the NHL. Uh, just one of those guys that's a little bit better than his pay grade. Um, but it is interesting just to look at, like, I think there's always a little bit of fun that comes with the European teams because they are a little bit mysterious. These are um, – primarily made up of guys and a lot of a lot of casual or at least like non diehard like looking into the prospects type people are are unaware of a lot of these players but it always feels like the european teams especially in goal but just they always feel like they have some guys that pop up in surprise so it's, it's really interesting to watch these tournaments play out because they are quick but you see a lot of development from these guys just like kind of getting comfortable playing obviously these guys do play together a, a little bit and, and they get ready for it and everything but I'm I'm always curious to just see the European like the Finland and Sweden's. I don't you know obviously uh, we're not rooting for for Latvia and Austria to do a whole lot. Probably not going to get much out of them. But it, it is always fun to watch the top four, top five teams and see just really who the next like big players are in the NHL because there are going to be so many good players uh, that end up next year in the pros maybe two years from now. So uh, really just the World Juniors for me is just like this is when you really get to know the bread and butter of who's going to be the future of the league. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, I you mentioned Connor Bedard, and I feel like he's kind of the first name that's going to come to most people's minds in terms of being the projected number one overall pick in this upcoming year's NHL draft. He's also coming back to Team Canada after playing in the World Juniors last year as a 16-year-old where he scored eight points in seven games. So uh, what kind of an encore performance will he have uh, this year still as one of the younger players in the tournament, but um, already having some experience, you know, at this level of international competition, you know, playing against, you know, guys who are 18, 19, uh, and some cases 20 years old uh in world juniors so uh canada as said you know they're the uh favorites a lot of talent uh that they have on a yearly basis uh we can shift over now usa has the second best odds uh in this tournament uh after canada and you mentioned luke hughes he's usa's captain he was the fourth overall pick of the new jersey devils a few years ago uh definitely one of the most skilled players uh that's going to be in this tournament overall i would say probably the best defenseman overall uh that we'll see in this tournament um so he's definitely going to be a guy that eats up a lot of minutes for USA. Uh, really excited to see how he does. But the rest of the roster, four other first-round picks uh, on this team for USA. Logan Cooley, the third overall pick last year of Arizona, has had a great year already at Minnesota. He comes back after playing last year uh, with the U.S. World Junior Team as well. And Tyler Boucher, the other former first-round picks uh, who are on the roster uh, for USA. So that should be a lot of fun. Two draft eligibles as well for USA. Uh, Charlie Strammel and Gavin Brindley, two guys playing in the NCAA this year that have previously uh, have experience in either the USHL or the development team program in the case of Charlie Strammel. Uh, I think they should be pretty exciting players to watch, although uh, it seems like they're going to be starting off on the fourth line, just kind of eating up that grindy role. Strammel is a really, really fun player to watch, really kind of throws around the body and has a nice shot as well. He's had a nice start at Wisconsin, uh, despite Wisconsin's team overall not having a great year this year. Um, so that should be fun to follow USA, of course, uh, in that one. Uh, any of those guys with USA, Donnie, kind of stand out to you uh, outside of Luke Hughes uh, on this USA roster that we should watch out for? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roadie on the Horn podcast. My name, as always, Donovan, that hasn't changed. My co-host name, Brian, his name also hasn't changed. We're here, we're back, we're here to talk sports. RK, how's it going? 
You know, I'm doing great, Donnie. It's been a little bit since uh, we've chatted here on the Roadie on the Horn streets, but it's nice to be back. Nice little holiday for us. New Year's is coming gone. So, I mean, wow. I mean, exciting stuff. A lot of sports to catch up on, and I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. And obviously, we are going to headline it with the the world of football. I guess we'll start with the NFL before we get on to college, which is clearly uh, the, the craziest college football playoff we've seen yet so far. But we'll start off in the NFL. Start off with your Eagles. Uh, this year has been primarily great for the Eagles. We've had a lot of good talks about the Eagles. And, you know, obviously the last time we talked, they were going into a game against the Cowboys um, without Jalen Hurts. Uh, obviously there was always potential for a little bit of a disaster there, but they played a pretty solid game against the Cowboys, I would say. And then they followed it up with, with just an absolute disaster performance. Not only did they not move the ball in the slightest offense was really, really mediocre uh, as a Miles Sanders fantasy owner. I was very upset to see them not able to move the ball period on the Saints. Cause I figured there was an easy touchdown in there uh, on the goal line, given Gardner Minshew uh, quarterback, uh, really just a, a little bit stunning to see, especially the end of the game. Um, they, they asked A.J. Brown, like, what happened at the end of the game on the last drive when he threw through the pick six. And A.J. Brown was like, yeah, he, he saw it. He, there was one read. He made one read, and he didn't come off his progressions at all. He just threw the ball, um, which is, I, I guess, if you were looking for any type of separation uh, in terms of what makes a, a good quarterback and a great quarterback um, in terms of late game, uh, late game, how the games work, uh, Gardner Minshew fell very short. Uh, and the Eagles ended up dropping yet another game. And now uh, you're going into the final week of the season in a game that matters rather than I think a couple weeks ago, we would say, yeah, you know, they've got it locked up pretty easy, uh, should beat one of these two teams. Uh, and obviously I'll let you touch on the injuries because I think that's the biggest takeaway of anything here. But um, worried at all about the Eagles? Are we a little, little panic mode here? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, how the last two weeks have gone is certainly not, uh, you know, how they envision things. And yeah, as you said, I think the injuries is really kind of the big negative. Obviously, we knew Jalen Hurts was not going to be playing uh, in some of these games uh, due to his shoulder injury that was sustained against the Bears. So, uh, you know, the hope was that the Eagles only needing to win one of their last three games uh, to clinch up the one seed, secure that extra buy, get some more rest. Well, it hasn't come, uh, you know, as easily as they wanted. Hard fought game against the Cowboys, where I thought Minshew actually played pretty solid, as despite even a couple of interceptions in that game you know for a backup quarterback I thought the Eagles really grinded and, and put forth a good effort but in this game against the Saints we saw a few more bodies go down Lane Johnson and Monte Maddox did not play Josh Sweat got injured in this game so all really kind of unfortunate things and yeah as you said Eagles really couldn't move the ball Miles Sanders has kind of had uh you know his ups and downs this year I think overall it's been a really really positive year for him but uh you know the last couple last two games in specific without Jalen Hurts he's really kind of struggled and uh you know not having Lane Johnson on the right side was also a big loss so still a surprise loss you said it that pick six by Marshawn Lattimore uh was really kind of that last dagger Eagles couldn't do anything in the uh first half and had a bomb to AJ Brown that uh you know he was able to convert but other than that it, it was a really really poor day for the Eagles offense and uh even though the Eagles defensive line continued to show up got a lot of sacks uh you know it wasn't enough for him uh to come back uh in this game so still have uh you know it in front of him a home game against the Giants a team who uh you know has already clinched a playoff spot so still an opportunity for the Eagles but certainly did not look good on Sunday. And uh, I think they're really going to want that by, uh, you know, given how they've kind of been limping the last two weeks, uh, you want to make sure that, Hey, we don't want to have to go on the road and play a playoff game, you know, the following week. So I think they really should be kind of treating this giants game as kind of an early playoff game, just so that they can ensure they can lock up the one seed, uh, you know, as envisioned a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah, and it does end up being as close to a must-win as possible given the circumstances around them. Um, I think that you could pretty much say it's going to be tough. There's no real world where you can see the 49ers uh, losing to Arizona at this point. It, it would be very shocking to both me, and I'm sure you'd be surprised to see a 49ers team who has just rolled recently and really put themselves in um, in position to maybe steal the first round by uh, assuming you know the Eagles fall apart again next week, which uh, I would say against what ends up probably being backups with the Giants is not much to worry about. Um, but in reality, like you're at a point where this is the first must-win game of the year for you as an Eagles fan, given the fact that you just started off so hot. Everything was fine. And, and I guess, you know, you did enough to put yourself in a position to where you have a really good opportunity. I, 538 has them at 92% to get the first round by. So I think 538 has them uh, a heavy favorite against the Giants next week, given the circumstances. So maybe not all hope is lost. Maybe we still end up, you know, uh, seeing uh, circumstances where things end up working out okay, especially because given the bye, um, they really need the bye given all their injuries now. Um, I, I think that there's probably still uh, some sort of safety involved there. I would say if as an Eagles fan, I'm not, I'm not overly panicking if I'm an Eagles fan, but it's also like a little bit concerning to see everybody go down. And I think just in, in reality, maybe the NFC closed up a little bit more than I anticipated what even with the Eagles losing a couple games, like the Cowboys have played really good ball and the Niners, as mentioned before, super, super hot. But I, I guess you got to say as an Eagles fan, like there's a little bit of caution, but you've seen the team play and it's, it's the giants. Let's be real here. Like I, as the giants fan, it's not, I don't think it's looking very good for, for what will end up being giants backups. Yeah, I think so. I think really kind of the area you can kind of hang your hat on with the Eagles right now has got to be the defensive line. I thought kind of coming into the year, they had about as much depth as anybody on the defensive line. And if anything, this season, they've really only added to it, um, which is, you know, really been something that they have been week in and week out. We've seen the defensive line come through like offenses that have moved the ball against the Eagles. They've either had kind of a good running back, you know, that that's kind of made things happen. I think about Damian Pierce in that Texans game or like in the commanders game. And even this game against the saints, a couple losses for them. Uh, it was really just kind of like some dink and duck third downs. Like they're just kind of making things work. They're not really getting those big plays. Really. The only time we saw that was CD lamb with the Cowboys uh, a couple of weeks ago was really the only time I think the Eagles defense was kind of shot or, uh, you know, taken back by some big plays. So I think that's definitely a positive uh, looking forward to the Eagles that, Hey, you you know, our, our defense is kind of hanging us in games, even if the offense has been a little inconsistent at times uh, outside of Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, uh, who, again, continue to be really good. Uh, it's been more Miles Sanders or the offensive line or in this game, Gardner Minshew, you know, certainly didn't have his best stuff. Um, you know, I still think there's a lot of reasons why the Eagles can, you know, go ahead, get a win against the Giants, secure up a first round bye, and, uh, you know, kind of march forward, um, even though they've, uh, you know, really been struggling uh, over the last two weeks. Yeah, I definitely think, and especially like they have, uh, you know, maybe sputtered a little bit, but as would be expected without your starting quarterback, I think you can say any team lose their starting quarterback, especially a guy like Jalen Hurts, who um, was number two, number three in the MVP race most of the year, even had the not top odds uh, on the date that he was hurt. Um, he, he went into the weekend or he went into the week following with the top MVP odds before he was uh, reported injured. So maybe not super worried. You're still making the playoffs. You're still in a very favorable position uh, for a first round matchup against what will end up being a very mediocre team, whoever they end up playing, whether it's, if they did lose the bye, they end up playing the Packers or the, the Giants or the Seahawks. Um, very winnable games, all three of those. But regardless, um, 
Eagles still in a good spot, you know, obviously sputtering. You hope Jalen Hurts is back. I think Jalen Hurts was very close to playing this week anyway. It looked like they were they were kind of giving him, like, the game-time decision, even though he was doubtful. So um, maybe, you know, you the best-case scenario is obviously you win, get the bye, everybody gets healthy, you're back at it, and then they're the hardest team to beat in the playoffs. So uh, in reality, not the end of the world. On my end, you know, we got to see the Giants somehow figure it out. The, the last couple weeks – um, have been interesting for the Giants. Obviously, we saw them lose to the Vikings in a game that I thought was was a very winnable ball game. Um, the, the fourth quarter was a, a disaster, a mess defensively. Both teams kind of just like forgot how to play football for a second there. It was really weird. Uh, Giants would end up losing that game, but the Colts are clearly the most dysfunctional team in football, or at least very close to the most dysfunctional team in football, um, up there with the Raiders. Who, who are a consistent mess every year. So you kind of expect that, uh, you know, Giants, obviously 24 point second quarter. Uh, I was on an airplane, didn't really have to see it. Didn't, wouldn't have watched anyway, knowing the fact that it was 24, three at half. Um, but Giants clinch the playoffs, uh, probably in a position to play the Vikings again uh, in the playoffs, assuming that nothing crazy happens with how the seating currently is. Um, if you were a Giants fan and you had to pick between like the Vikings, the Niners, or the Eagles, I think the Vikings would very clearly be the number one opponent, correct? Yeah, I would have to say so. Uh, you know, even the fact that, you know, the Eagles are in their own division and, you know, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, you have a lot of familiarity, which can work in your favor, even though the Giants lost on the road at Minnesota. It was only by three points a couple of weeks ago. I thought they fought pretty well. Uh, I think that could definitely be a more logical game for them to win uh, in order to get to the divisional round if that's how the matchups play out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think both of us have been, you know, pleasantly surprised by seeing them actually play some decent football this year. Um, usually, and I think in years prior, yeah, I can't really remember a, a game that the Giants actually blew out an opponent in a game they had to win. Uh, even going back to like the, the wild card days when they were like playing decent football before the boat trip and everything. Um, the blowouts were not really a, a common occurrence. I re it was really enjoyable and really refreshing to not have to worry about anything. I'm getting texts on the plane that they've scored. Uh, Landon Collins is a pick six out of nowhere. Uh, really just good to see, obviously, as a Giants fan. I'm not necessarily mad. Um, and there has been some talk. I guess we'll just touch on it real quick. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, both uh, likely to get extended. At least that's the report from just about everybody out there, which I think is a fair analysis at this point, given the fact that this team last year was a disaster. Uh, the Dave Gettleman years were absolutely brutal, abysmal. And it looks like, and maybe I was a little bit more cautious about it previously than, than other Giants fans were, but it, the coaching staff has really made all the difference. They've kind of turned Daniel Jones into uh, from, from a bottom five quarterback to a very average level uh, game manager level quarterback uh, does enough with his legs to where his arm uh, being a little bit of a detriment to his game is not super uh, negative to the Giants overall. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future. I do think, you know, We've talked about it time and time again. Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, these are the guys leading the team and receiving every week. Like Richie James has bounced around to what seems to be every team. Uh, he's been around. He's been on waivers a couple of times. Isaiah Hodgins was being going to end up back on the Bills practice squad before the Giants called him up and said, hey, do you want to be our top receiver? Um, so maybe moving forward, Daniel Jones benefits from having a better receiving core. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily something that you can guarantee given the fact that his arm is – a little shaky, but I, I guess you got to say the Giants should probably end up extending Daniel Jones at least like a short term, two, three years, uh, just to see. You can always draft the quarterback too. It's not out of the question. 
Yeah, it sure seems like that way, especially given there's a lot of teams that, you know, wish they had Daniel Jones at this point, which is, uh, you know, pretty crazy to think about that. But yeah, I think Jones has shown enough to where the Giants are like, ah, well, it's such a big risk. We've had a good year. He's got good continuity with, you know, the staff and everything. So I think we'll end up seeing Giants come back. But yeah, you said it. I think the biggest issue for the Giants is in that receiver room. You know, Richie James, Darius Slayton, you know, two of their better receivers this year. They're both free agents at the end of this year. So it would be interesting to see if they, you know, want to resign those guys do they go elsewhere because they obviously still have Kenny Galladay on you know a long contract which has been so bad so it's like gosh how do you find a way out of that can you work him into the offense do you just cut him and just eat the dead cap uh, a lot of questions there with the Galladay contract especially because uh, it wasn't even their you know current uh, management that signed that contract with Galladay too so interested to see how that play out but you know given the fact that it was a rebuilding year for the Giants for them to be in a playoff spot I don't think anyone saw that coming and we know how much improvement there could be made on the roster so I think that is a big credit to Brian Dable and what he's been able to do even through a Giants you know big losing skid in the you know towards uh you know the latter half of the of the season you know losing some tough games uh you know at times but they've been able to bounce back you know right the ship uh and and you get to the playoffs I think that's definitely a huge win uh for the Giants this year yeah and just to touch on the goal contract because I've been looking into this quite a quite a few times this year uh, it's it's bad regardless what you do if you cut them before or after the uh the, the flip day or whatever, whatever it's called. And in, in, I believe it's in June. Yeah. Post-cut designation. Yeah. yeah the, the designation day. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a lot of money. It's a little bit better after the designation, I believe, but you've also, there's kind of like bonuses involved in everything. So it's, it, it's going to be a tough battle regardless. Um, but it is nice to see both the giants and Eagles make the playoffs um, fairly easily, especially for the Eagles, but the giants, you know, they kind of, uh, they kind of lucked into an easy schedule this year and kind of, they won the games they had to uh, been one of the best teams in football in terms of one score games, which is really weird because usually I would have said the Jake Elliott's of the world would, would ruin my day uh, as we've seen time and time again. And we saw it this year against the Vikings, a uh, really deep. Yeah. The Vikings, they're the, they're the one score game gangs this year. Yeah. Apparently out of nowhere, you know, great for them. Uh, but yeah, you know, Giants, Eagles both make the playoffs. They'll play this week, a game that really doesn't really matter for the Giants. So I would assume the Eagles to win as, as uh, stated previously. But just around the league, uh, there were a couple interesting games that actually mattered, which is good because, you know, I, I feel like time and time again, we end up getting these weird matchups at the end of the year that don't really end up doing anything. And then you get to the final week of the season, you get the divisional matchups, everything's like, okay, great, cool. Things are usually kind of sort of settled by then. Uh, but we had a couple of games for the divisions um, this year, including Panthers, Buccaneers, uh, which ended up being a real disaster for the Carolina Panthers. Sadly enough, they looked like they were in pretty good position to win the game or at least stick in the game uh, for a large portion of it. And then uh, they were tormented by Tom Brady of the past, who puts up 430 yards, three TDs. Mike Evans, 10 catches, 207, three TDs. Uh, Godwin ends up with 120 yards. And unfortunately for the Panthers, they went from in a great position. I think at halftime, you would have said, Oh, like this is, this has been a really good game for them uh, putting themselves in a position to where they could win the division at seven wins or eight wins. And then instead Tom Brady of past years, you know, you kind of just had to assume Tom Brady would step up at some point. This was his best game of the year by far. This was the Buccaneers offense, best game of the year by far. Is it going to stick doubtful? really going to doubt that one with how we've seen them play again uh, you've mentioned it week in week out their run game is absolutely tragic it's really bad but somehow the Buccaneers are in the playoffs at what ends up will probably end up being a nine win team eight win team how did it happen how do we get here but congratulations Tom Brady 
Yeah, you said it. Great game for Brady, Evans, Godwin, you know, really that kind of trio led the way. Didn't have much of a run game, which has kind of been a stable for the Bucks. But, you know, they figured it out. They're hanging around. Yeah, they, they look really ugly at a lot of times this season. But, uh, you know, when all the chips were down, uh, especially in the fourth quarter, you know, Brady ended up coming through. Uh, you know, interesting The the Sam Darnold Panthers were kind of fun there for a little bit. Had some nice <laughs> moments. But, uh, yeah, it looks like that thing will be coming to an end. I think everybody knows they would have got smoked uh, in wildcard weekend, which still may end up happening to the Bucks. But I think they, uh, you know, have a little bit uh, more kind of continuity, composure, familiarity with the playoffs, uh, you know, when you're led by Tom Brady. Uh, I think that from a viewing perspective, we'd much rather see that uh, than what we were seeing for the Panthers. But I mean, I give the Panthers credit. They fought. I mean, we all thought they were, were dead to rights. Uh, you know, they go with Steve Wilkes. They win a couple of games. Uh, you know, there, some of the running backs kind of came on at different times, whether it be Hubbard or Foreman. Uh, it wasn't the case in this game against the Bucks. But I think the Panthers have a little bit of a spark, you know, going into next season. If you're going to be a rebuilding year and doing it at the end of the year is a good time to do it. So uh, I think the Panthers have some interesting guys that, uh, you know, maybe if they have a nice off season, they had a nice, uh, you know, high first round pick with, uh, with some good impact. I can see the Panthers, you know, being a contender for this division next year, but uh, not enough for them uh, this year. It's uh, it's Brady and the Bucks that gets it done just as we all kind of expected just in a little bit different way uh, than how we saw it uh, with them being eight and eight right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously we don't have to, we don't have to stick on this game too often or too, too much longer, much longer, but realistically how did they go from last week putting up like what seemed like 800 yards on the ground to handing the ball off 16 times to the running backs what's the what's the point I I don't necessarily understand putting the game in Sam Darnold's hands although he was good he may have won himself a job in the future maybe I think think it's a very fair analysis but I don't know how you go from putting on absolutely dicing up a Lions defense in the run game which was actually like half decent pretty good at stopping things to a Buccaneers team that also half decent but not great a, a team. They should have been able to run on, maybe not at that level, um, but they completely abandoned what worked for them the, the previous week, which is really weird. Um, football really just, this is, this is the definition of football week in week out. You have no idea, no right. clue what a team's going to do. And the Panthers, I, I can't understand the, the lack of run game, but somebody knows better than me. Probably they probably knew. I, what do I know? Really? When it comes down to it, just I have no idea how they came away uh, from that game, not running the ball at least 20, 25 times, especially in a close game. Yeah, yeah, that it, uh, it's very strange. As you said, football, week-to-week basis, we never know what we're going to get. Sometimes the Panthers are running over the Lions. Sometimes uh, Sam Darnold throwing the ball over the yard, and they can't run it against the Bucks. So it was a weird one, but uh, NFC South has been one of the worst divisions we've uh, we followed uh, in the last couple of years at least, uh, which is still saying a lot, but uh, it looks like it it will end as we expected uh, with the Bucks coming out. Absolutely, and I guess we could touch on what was very much, you know, coming into the game, uh, Vikings Packers, Vikings were, were a dog, only three points. So we were thinking, oh, like maybe that's a little weird, or at least I, I, my perspective was, ah, you know, this is a Vikings team that they may show up, they may stink. And it turned out we got the latter. They, this was, uh, again, a really shocking performance from just the Vikings in general. Kirk Cousins was abysmal, really, really bad. Uh, run game, awful. Dalvin Cook had 27 yards, didn't really touch the ball very much. Um, Justin Jefferson, one catch, 15 yards after uh, talking last week about, oh, I'm, I'm going to break the NFL, I'm going to break the receiving yards record, which he uh, goes in the next week down like 195 yards uh, from breaking it. But really just, you have to think, shout out to obviously 
Aaron Rodgers. Shout out to the Packers defense. They really gave Kirk Cousins a fit. Kirk Cousins shows that he is just, once again, just inept when he has to do something correct. Um, this would have been a perfect game to be like, yeah, you know, the Vikings, we're, we're legit. This is real. Um, knock the Panthers out of the playoffs as, or knock the Packers out of the playoffs as the Packers have done to them uh, before. Or the Packers have really kind of just owned the division. And once again, even at a, a mediocre year, a dysfunctional Packers team, uh, injuries galore. Aaron Rodgers has been hurt multiple times. We don't we didn't even know if Aaron Rodgers was going to play some weeks. Uh, it turns out he did enough. The team did enough to where they absolutely dominate, dominate them. 41-17 at half, 27-3. How, why, like what, what is it, what is it about the Vikings that they just can't figure out how to consistently put up a good performance against anybody? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very strange. The Vikings are a really hard team to figure out, but I, I was thinking about this game and I was thinking all the way back to week one when the Packers went into Minnesota and got stopped. Justin Jefferson had 180 yards, two touchdowns. Dalvin Cook was running all over him. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers got uh, benched in this game. They put Jordan Love out for the last couple of drives. And this time it was the reverse. Aaron Rodgers did his job so well that Jordan Love was out there uh, in relief of him, you know, basically just taking kneels. So it, it was really just both teams. We, we thought coming into the year, like you said, that the Packers may come to have the upper end just because of the recent history but uh it ends up being the Packers here at the end of the year that's really coming on hot and the Vikings are, are you know slumbering you know struggling a little bit not necessarily you know playing you know hitting all in all cylinders at all times uh outside of that second half against the Colts uh when they had the biggest comeback that we've seen in NFL history but uh, the Vikings are just a hard team to figure out and maybe the Packers are just hitting it uh at the right time but uh even still you know the Vikings are in a spot where they're the team that's hosting the playoff game the Packers are the team that's still got to go on the road so even even though it looks like, you know, the sky's falling for the Vikings. What are they doing? The Packers, they're hitting it at the right stride. They still got to keep it going, uh, you know, into the postseason uh, where it's more challenging for Green Bay as they as they hit the road. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting to, to see this game, how, how it kind of played out with Jefferson getting shut down. You know, that's a lot more of what I thought we were going to see, knowing Jair Alexander and the, as the Packers had with their uh, two first-round picks on defense. You know, I really like Quay Walker this year, uh, especially as one of those guys. So uh, it, it's been really interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, Darnell Savage having a pick six in this game. It really just kind of felt like, okay, this is the Packers team we thought we were going to see all year. A Packers team that's capable of playing, you know, up with, uh, you know, anybody in the NFC. You know, the Vikings technically are there, even though we definitely have our, our you know, skepticism over them. But uh, really interesting game uh, to see how it, it, it played out. And now the Packers find themselves in a spot where it's like, yeah, we're, we're probably going to be able to make the playoffs if we can knock off Detroit next week. Uh, you know, a team in our division, which we really own. Yeah, it is interesting. And there, there is a slight possibility a very very it's going to be tough but a vikings packers first round there's there's it's still it's still right there there's still definitely possibilities it would take a diners loss probably which you know probably not going to happen let's let's be realistic here but there is a scenario where we could see vikings packers in the first round uh would be really weird obviously that would uh, require an eagles victory which i think both of us are kind of penciling in um given the, the strengths of uh the eagles and the giants probably benching players but in, in reality it's really weird but I think you kind of expect the Packers to come on and like do whatever they can. You heard it a couple weeks ago with Aaron Rodgers said, yeah, I'm going to go out there and grind until the season's until the season's dead till we're out of the playoffs. And it turns out um, the Packers are very much in a position to where they they've kind of sort of picked the right time to not stink, uh, which is, I guess all you can ask for the, the four game win streak, four and eight, you're thinking a chance of making a playoffs as a four and eight team still got a couple division games left to go. Going to be tough, but uh, great position. And I think next week, as you mentioned, Lions Packers, will end up being the primetime game Sunday night. Uh, the Lions could theoretically be eliminated given um, the Seahawks have a little bit more, uh, they have a little bit more finesse than they do. I think they have, uh, they control the destiny of the Lions at this point, but 
Uh, regardless, that it's going to be Sunday night football. Should be a really good game. You would assume the Lions have played um, maybe a little bit better than you would have expected this year. I think they, they've been a, an overwhelming, at least maybe not a, a great team most of the year, but they've been a surprise, especially in the latter half of the season. Uh, we've seen them knock off uh, every except the Panthers game, which was just atrocious. We've seen them knock off the Vikings. They beat the Giants playoff team. They they absolutely dominated the Bears even after Justin Fields had a crazy first quarter. Uh, the rest of the game was just atrocious for the Bears in general. Uh, they beat the Jaguars by five touchdowns uh, early December. So we're talking about a Lions team that they're not really like laying down. They're playing playoff teams. They're beating playoff teams. They almost beat the Bills uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It's respect, obviously. You have to give a little bit of credit, regardless if they make the playoffs. The Lions have done enough to where you can be like, hey, the future is really bright out of what I think both of us would have said after last year. Kind of a disaster, it felt like, but they're back maybe better than we've seen them in the last decade. Yeah, I would say I, I really like their offseason. I thought that for a rebuilding team, how they handled it was was really strong. And now we're starting to see that, you know, here towards the end of the year, some of their younger players are starting to come alive. You know, even some of their younger offensive weapons uh, have really started to, to develop a little bit, too. They got a nice little running back duo with Swift and Williams. They got some solid receivers out there. Raymond and Jamison Williams is back. And I'm on Ross St. Brown is probably their number one overall. So I like them. But really, the issue, not only with the Lions, but with the Vikings, uh, is their defense. I mean, those teams have allowed two uh you know some of the most points allowed in the nfl the only teams that are or the only team that's allowed more is in their division it's the bears the bears you know one of the worst teams in all the nfl the only team that have allowed more points this year than the vikings and the lions it's crazy that uh you know those teams we, we see the offensive flash we watch justin jefferson and dalvin cook and we're like oh wow the vikings they got 12 wins they're gonna win this division but it really is the defense that's kind of their achilles heel uh and you know that was a big element uh you know in this game against the packers that uh you know they couldn't slow down a team that uh you know traded away Devontae Adams this offseason and uh you know definitely uh had their struggles uh moving the ball offensively at times this year but Vikings defense is really uh, a, a big concern uh going into the playoffs and uh you know for the Lions it could be a reason why they end up missing it I think their offense was good enough uh for a large stretches of this year but um you know those are really kind of the big areas where those teams will look to improve upon uh you know this offseason uh if it is for the Lions if uh if they're unable to knock off the Packers and, and get a little help from the Rams yeah, I mean, as you mentioned with the Lions offense, they've put up 20 points or more in the last eight weeks, which is very, very hard to do in the NFL. You're going to have stinker weeks, especially when you're considering the fact that uh, we have talked about Jared Goff. Jared Goff's been really, really good, all things considered. And I think Jared Goff was looked at even – I wrote him off on this podcast. I can guarantee you I wrote him off on this podcast uh, after the uh, the end of his tenure previously, but he's kind of revitalized himself, uh, which is really nice to see. But – there have been some concerns from just NFL fans in general. Like uh, next week's game is a little bit like not, it's not ideal uh, given the fact that if Seattle loses, the Lions will be eliminated already uh, right away. They won't have anything to play for in a Sunday night football game, which is really weird given the fact that I think you could have put on uh, Seattle and Detroit and the Packers at the same time kind of sort of makes it an even playing field. I would say uh, imagine Seattle ends up winning that game and they put the Lions out of the playoffs. Uh, the Lions are going to be going out there with uh, a heavy heart. Their season's over, regardless of if they want to defeat the Packers, because uh, obviously the Lions will want to beat the Packers every game they play. It's a little bit weird to me to see them flex this game into, into Sunday Night Football, given the fact that I think they could have just chosen another game with a little bit of meaning because there are others that we'll talk about shortly here. Um, is, is that not weird to you at all to see them like kind of say, hey, you know, we're just going to throw you out there and, and see if the Seahawks win. If they lose, then this game matters. If they don't, then it only matters for one team. A little weird, right? 
Yeah, I think it is a little weird. I also think it's weird how they kind of put that typical Sunday night game on Saturday night with the Jaguars and the Titans. Literally. That's the game we see on uh, on Sunday night, but uh, we'll end up getting it on Saturday a day early. So, yeah, that, that does make it interesting where it's like, oh, wow, we could be watching football on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not necessarily as kind of high drama. Uh, and it's kind of just, oh, the Packers are shitting on the Lions. We've seen this the last two decades. I mean, if not longer, probably longer. So, yeah, we, we could end up seeing that, especially, yeah, since, uh, you know, Seattle's obviously favored to win at home against uh, against the Rams. Yeah, and I think I guess we'll just touch on the Jaguars-Titans game uh, just in general because it is the only real uh, division choice. Whoever wins it will end up going through. Whoever loses will be eliminated, although the Jaguars have a really small path to make it, even if they do lose, uh, given the fact that they've kind of set themselves up pretty well the last couple weeks. Uh, It is going to be weird to see the Titans deciding to just go with Josh Dobbs uh, after last week's performance. Obviously, uh, we didn't touch on it at all. Josh Dobbs was good enough to where you could be like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe he's earned himself another another start. Uh, he, he came in, kind of looked like he had some sort of command of the offense. They lost the game. They didn't really play a whole uh, a whole like four quarter game. They were kind of sort of mediocre um, for the first and last quarters of the game offensively. But I think with Derrick Henry back, maybe they're, they're thinking, oh, um, he'll fit into the offense a little bit better. But just in general, and then we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but like. The Malik Willis angle to all this is maybe the strangest storyline of this week, period, given the fact that obviously the preview previous GM is no longer there. Uh, the person who put uh, their trust into Malik Willis is no longer running the team. And we're at a point where this is the, the most important game of the season for any team in the NFL. This is quite literally the, the most important game that you could have in the regular season. It's a winning in, losing out type situation. And they're going with a quarterback that they signed off of the waivers uh, two weeks ago. Is that like the craziest, stupidest storyline possible. It's very strange for sure. You know, Willis, who was a third round pick, as you said it, you know, GM John Robinson, uh, you know, selected him. He gets fired midseason. So that's, I think, a large part of why, uh, you know, Mike Frabel's like, look, I don't care. I just need a quarterback right now that's going to win me games. We're trying to get to the playoffs. Doesn't matter. But for Willis, you know, for his own development, we, we really only saw him in, in, you know, a good portion of the game against the Texans on Christmas Eve. And yeah, that was a loss. And he played really bad. A couple of interceptions, four sacks against, you know, wasn't really throwing the ball with, uh, you know, any depth down the field, wasn't really threatening, uh, you know, that. And sure, maybe part of that is the Titans receiving core. But, you know, I, it just seems like, ah, gosh, I feel like Malik Willis is still giving you a little bit better chance to win than Josh Dobbs. Uh, but that's not what we're going to end up seeing. Uh, you know, it will be Dobbs who gets to start in this, you know, win or in game against the Jaguars. So, uh, you know, who knows what the future holds for Willis? Maybe he ends up getting traded in the offseason, uh, you know, given the fact that he's probably pretty upset about this decision, thinking that, hey, you know, once Tannehill's done, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to step in and you're just giving me one game. And and yeah, you knew I was going to struggle at some point. Like he, he was a third round pick. It's not like this guy was picked you know super high and, and he's like Zach Wilson where he's struggling and, and it's a little bit different story uh you know for Willis I still feel like he needs enough game reps before you're willing to make that evaluation but uh you know for Mike Vrabel he's like look I don't have enough time to, to worry about that and uh he gives him kind of the the quick hook started Dobbs last week in a game that didn't really mean too much uh and I didn't think Dobbs necessarily sold himself as for sure he's he's got to be the starter this week but uh with Tannehill out and uh you know Willis not performing they're going to go to Dobbs uh in a must-win game which makes me think hey it's going to be a lot of Derrick Henry that's kind of how the Titans win or lose games anyways. Uh, we're going to feed the rock to Derrick Henry, going to get him, you know, the ball 30 times. And, and if we win, we win. We're, we're going to win with our strength. But uh, if not, then, you know, that's kind of the end of it and what was a really tough season for the Titans overall. Yeah, and I think it's weird to just think about just in general, like 
I, I regardless, I don't think there's ever ever a situation where you grab a guy off waivers and he's already better than your backup. Uh, in most situations, it's it's kind of just like if he was better than your backup, you would have him on the roster already. That kind of sort of be the the vibe there. But uh, alas, I guess we'll talk about that next week. It could end up being uh, a really weird situation for the Titans if they ended up blowing the division lead and losing to the Jaguars next week. I think that that, that would be a very uh, detrimental situation for just the team in general. Obviously, I don't think we're going to end up seeing any any coaching firings out of the Titans. I think that they've kind of sort of settled into this guy being uh, this, this staff being a long term uh, their long term fit uh, for in terms of whatever they're trying to do um, for the next couple of years. But really just a strange situation uh, from here. I think we can skip uh, the rest of the NFL talk. There will be a lot of NFL talk next week, especially if there is anything exciting, which I think well, we're bound to have something uh, exciting, given the fact that there are six or seven games that do matter. Um, so we'll take that. But college football, uh, we're now deep into bowl season. We passed the college football playoff uh, semifinals, which were both terrific games. But I think we'll start off with just a, a quick touch on Oregon and North Carolina, just to say, Bo Nix, you know, respect, man. Like, this is a guy, we've talked about it a couple of times. Obviously, it's sort of a meme. It's not like we're talking about Bo Nix being the next superstar NFL quarterback or anything. But I really respect just the, the, the fact that a guy like Bo Nix can put aside what has happened earlier in his career, and it was not great at Auburn. It was very mediocre at Auburn. Let's 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 be honest here. This year has been good, and and he's one of the clutchest quarterbacks in the nation in terms of college football, which is crazy to think about because previously, if you had Bodix at in quarterback and you're down seven in the late game, you're like, yeah, it's over. Call it. Auburn kicked all these games. They they, they were just dominated, and now Bodix is like good. Yeah. It's uh, it's wild. It, it, I I remember thinking back. Uh, you mentioned uh, Bo Nix. You know, he started off at Auburn, kind of his first game, starting as a true freshman. You know, high, really highly touted recruit, getting the start for Auburn. wasn't a pretty game, but uh, they ended up winning that game with a last second touchdown to Seth Williams against Oregon. Uh, and here we are. You know, fast forward, and, and Bo Nix is developing a little bit into a better passer. I think he made the right decision announcing that he'll come back to Oregon for another year, which means that uh, you know he'll get another you know year in a in a fun offense in Oregon. Uh, a lot of good players returning Bucky Irving their running back had an outstanding game uh in this bowl game against North Carolina so I think it'll be good for Bo Nix to to come back you know kind of be the face of uh of that program for uh, <clears throat> excuse me for another year so Looking forward to that. And then I think the other part of why this matchup was interesting to me was just to see the play of Drake May, uh, probably touted as, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in next year's class, a little bit below Caleb Williams, but a lot to like with Drake May at three more touchdowns uh, in this game. So uh, he'll be another really fun uh, prospect to follow over the course of next year. And, uh, you know, what he put on tape in this game didn't necessarily have, uh, you know, what I would say is overall his best stuff. I'm still kind of coming around on Drake May myself uh, in terms of what his ceiling is uh, as a quarterback back but I think there is definitely a lot to like and uh he'll be a uh, a really fun quarterback to follow uh next season in college football yeah you know we have talked about this before but the ACC quarterback is not not a uh not a role that anybody really wants to to admire it's it's very hard to sit there and be like yeah that's the next guy although we have seen uh, a couple of the ACC guys in recent years albeit the really high Trevor end, Lawrence yeah like, he's pretty like come on you, you just sort of knew uh yeah. and, and anytime you get out of the top five of an ACC quarterback in the NFL draft you're thinking ah you know there's there's a uh, 
there's a lot of chance for disaster there. But regardless, yeah, that's the Texans with Deshaun Watson for different reasons. You know, definitely, definitely different reasons. Even you can ask the Browns this year for Deshaun yeah. Watson. Uh, it's been it's been pretty, although not not so pretty. Although this week was uh, was a little bit better than yeah, than, it was the best game this week. You know, congratulations to Deshaun Watson for finally playing quarterback uh, well for the first time in, in a game that didn't matter uh, against the Commanders, who were very clearly just not not into it. They were not feeling, it, and neither was Ron Rivera, who clearly had no idea what was going on. But Playoff time. Uh, usually, you kind of expect uh, maybe some messy game in uh, a messy game in there of the two. Uh, I would have said the messy game would have been TCU Michigan, which we'll start out with. Um, ended up being just an incredible game. The first half was a little bit weird. Uh, TCU started off really strong. Uh, it looked like they were kind of sort of going to run away with it at times. JG McCarthy did not start off great. Uh, the run game outside of Donovan Edwards' little early run which was which was a crazy start to the game 55 yard run uh, he did pretty much nothing the rest of the game uh, they didn't really do a whole lot but jd mccarthy settled in a little bit they got to the goal line they had some, some interesting plays um maybe uh you know and I, I, it's hard to say i don't want to be too rude here but the the rumors about jim harbaugh ending up uh getting a head coaching job in the nfl just sounds like a disaster especially if ends up with the broncos because the broncos have no idea how to clock manage and they just fired a guy uh, mid-season, end of the season, for, for just kind of sort of doing his thing with a dysfunctional team. Obviously, he's not a very good coach, Nathaniel Hackett. But Jim Harbaugh, now 0 for 6 in his last six bowl games. Um, any game that matters, uh, once it gets to playoff time, you could just say, yeah, Jim Harbaugh's going to lose it, which is a, a sad reality. But uh, from this game, we did see, on the other hand, um, the TCU, they really, they, they shocked me a little bit. Obviously, Quentin Johnson had that one great stutter step play where he took it 70 yards to the house, and, and he put himself on the map of every casual college football NFL fan, uh, period, if you weren't aware of him already. We had yeah. talked about him a couple of times, but he put himself out there as probably wide receiver one in this class, if not wide, wide receiver two uh, at the worst. Um, definitely respect there. 51-45, we're talking about a game that, we were 21, six and a half. It's like, okay. And then we see 44 points in the third quarter, including just a, a trade back and forth after the first drive, everybody scored that there were seven scoring drives, uh, including a pick six in there, which was interesting. And then the fourth quarter, Michigan really tried to push back. Uh, TCU looked like they kind of sort of, um, they had the game plan. Correct. Uh, didn't really get a whole lot done outside of Quentin Johnston. They had a lot of, of, Really interesting run game, but not from who you would expected. Uh, I think Kendry Miller was was a little bit more muted, um, and I think everybody and their mother was saying, "Oh, this is the guy that's gonna step in." But obviously, injuries happen. Um, not a whole lot you can do. But they ended up getting an incredible, incredible. Just I, as somebody who's not really familiar with TCU football like that, I didn't really follow their backup running back situation very closely this year. Really surprised by just having the amount of efficiency out of Demarcado was like incredible. He ended up averaging nine yards per carry, uh, broke off a couple big ones, ended up scoring, uh, really helped uh, the mediocre passing game that TCU ended up coming out with, which I, I guess you would have expected against a good Michigan defense, but a 51-45 game at what ended up being probably what I would say like a classic in, in college football playoff semifinal standards, uh, a great Fiesta Bowl and, and a really, really strong start to what ended up being an incredible day. 
Yeah, it really was. TCU, you know, they got off to that hot start, but they were able to, you know, hold off that Michigan surge there in the second half when, uh, you know, McCarthy, you know, you mentioned it, you know, he had a pick six early on, had two picks overall in the game, but uh, it was starting to kind of find a groove offensively, I would say. Uh, that whole offense was, uh, whether it be Donovan Edwards, you know, breaking off another explosive play or Ronnie Bell or Roman Wilson had, uh, you know, a touchdown each in this contest. But, uh, you know, as you said, I, I think the run game at TCU was really kind of that X factor um, that we didn't necessarily necessarily foresee coming into the game we thought Michigan's defense was going to be stout as they've been all season and be able to shut that down but 263 yards on the ground for TCU uh, I mean that's definitely you know you factor that in with what we already knew we were going to get from Quentin Johnston who just continues to uh, progress I would say I totally think that he could be the top receiver picked because uh, of his big play potential anytime uh, it's either a drag route or a deep ball down the field he's definitely elite at both those things so a lot to like with Johnston we knew he was going to have a good game but the run game for TCU without a doubt I think that was a big factor in terms of why TCU was able to hold off Michigan uh despite their second half push yeah and it was really weird just to see like usually you expect TCU to be like kind of just uh we're gonna throw the ball 40 times uh, obviously you've got a really a really talented quarterback there but the run game was uh, terrific and on the other hand it, it was really tough to see Michigan kind of sort of like always trailing. They couldn't do anything to give themselves a chance after the first half. Uh, going down in that little hole early really ended up doing them in, which I guess you would have expected. This is college football. Um, teams are going to score. Teams are going to score a lot. And I think even, I guess we can shift over to the Peach Bowl because teams were going to score a lot. And it yeah. ended up being a, a ridiculous game. And I think I, I personally was very surprised to see Georgia's defense kind of not do a whole lot. Uh, the first three quarters, it looked like they were pretty much out of the game, maybe not out of the game, but I, I think at the end of the third quarter, you would have said, oh, like they're down two scores, probably not going to be able to come come back against CJ Stride, who had a terrific game, ended up with like 354 TDs, uh, including a huge play at the end of the game to put themselves in position to kick a field goal that ended up being botched because of multiple, um, you know, the cataclysmic error uh, of, of just incredible, incredible mistake. But it ended up being a, a terrific game. Georgia comeback, like, wow, incredible to see Stetson Bennett, who uh, was the butt of pretty much every meme uh, being 35 years old and still in college, um, pretty much everybody on Twitter saying that. Uh, but regardless, Stetson Bennett has a really good game. Uh, it was not necessarily the the uh, attack that you would have expected, like a Brock Bowers-type dominant game, who I think you would have said coming into the game, oh, this is the guy. And on the other hand, you know, a Marvin Harrison Jr. injury helped a little bit. Uh, definitely not going to deny that. I'm not going to argue that o Ohio State was in a better position without uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., given the fact that he was just incredible. But a 42-41 win uh, capped off by a, a missed field goal that looked like a Madden. You didn't have your control. Your controller died while you were kicking in, and all of a sudden it's it's in the crowd. Um, first off, takeaways from this game. Ohio State played a hell of a game. Georgia somehow snuck it out. Surprised at all to see this be an 83-point game between the two of them? Definitely surprised by it. I, I think my biggest takeaway in this game has got to be from CJ Stroud. I think that there's a lot to like with CJ Stroud, like he, from the pocket. He's a very accurate passer. He doesn't turn the ball over very much. He doesn't take a lot of sacks, which can be easy to just kind of take those things for granted uh, a lot of times. But Stroud is able to really execute that. Has such a great command of the Buckeyes offense. And yeah, he certainly does benefit from, you know, a first round pick on the offensive line with Paris Johnson and Marvin Harrison Jr., who might be the best of the bunch of the Ohio State receivers that we've seen in recent years, which includes Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba will be in this draft as well. Emeka Abuka as well has had just an unbelievable season. So yeah, CJ Stroud has been able to benefit 
a lot from what's around him. But there were a lot of criticisms of what he could do, creating plays out of structure and his mobility that, you know, going against the number one team in the country, Georgia, a team that has not lost in two seasons and has had what is well-renowned as one of the best defenses, not only in college football right now, but really over college football history, what they've done over the last two seasons has been incredible. So for Stroud to just kind of pick him apart, uh, I think goes a long way in terms of what his evaluation is going into the draft. I think that there may have been people that, uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily see that debate between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. I think it will be one that we see all the way down to the wire on draft day that some people are going to like Stroud, some people are going to like Young. And uh, I think this game will, will be great film for CJ Stroud in terms of ensuring that, yeah, this guy's definitely worthy of not only going in the top 10, but in the top five and maybe even being, you know, the number one overall pick in the draft. I think there will be consideration for that. So I think that it was a really good game for CJ Stroud, you know, ending aside, you know, you know, obviously he put his team in, in a potential field goal winning situation. It was a long kick. And, uh, you know, unfortunately Noah Ruggles, you know, came up pretty short, as you said, uh, so tough way for CJ Stroud for, you know, his college career to end. Uh, it was an incredible career for him though, uh, in his two seasons with Ohio state. So I have to say that's my biggest takeaway, you know, as closest thing is we're going to see CJ Stroud facing an NFL caliber defense. And he was up to the task and, and played a plus football, uh, in spite of the result. Yeah, and I think one thing I wanted to touch on before we move on uh, off of college football just in general is like the last drive for Ohio State, uh, the CJ Shroud run to put them in position was incredible. It's it's a type of play that we saw out of Caleb Williams a couple weeks ago. Um, a, a, a as good as you get uh, seeing the field, understanding your capabilities and your limitations uh, and and making an incredible run. Um, anybody that can do that, that is, that's literally like, Pat Mahomes-esque IQ play, which is incredible to see. Uh, but afterwards, uh, I did not appreciate Ohio State's management after that run. Uh, first off, you hand the ball off to a running back who had not really got a whole lot done. Their running game outside of CJ Stroud at the last uh, the last second was awful. They were atrocious. So that definitely didn't help. Uh, and then a couple plays where they just they couldn't block. They couldn't give CJ Stroud any time to get five yards. They needed a couple yards. I think you would say any time you throw a college kicker out there in a 50-yard situation, you're you're expecting an L. You're expecting for him to miss. I think it's just how the reality of things work. Um, even with the best college kickers, they're going to miss these kicks. 50 yards is not, not easy for any NFL kicker, let alone a college kid, a 22-year-old, um, regardless of how good he was. Uh, but, you know, as you said, it's interesting to see. I do think Ohio State probably wins the game, assuming Marvin Harrison Jr. is healthy the entire way through uh, and does continue to dominate because he looked like he was uh, as much of a difference maker as anybody we've seen in college football in, in a specific game starting off this one. I had two TDs and it looked like he was going to add more the way he was just dominating, picking through Georgia's defense. But again, Georgia somehow sneaks through. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, uh, there was a, a 76-yard touchdown pass at the in the fourth quarter. Uh, really just the, the most bizarre thing in the world because he was so open on the field and I was like okay so did he just like burn the coverage to bad mistake uh turns out one uh you know a little slip and it pretty much ended the game it, it oh, put them in a situation to where it was it was absolutely cashed um you know obviously you can only do so much about a db falling over these things happen very frequently there's not a not a surprise there but man that's gotta be an absolute heartbreaker um clearly you know these things happen sets and bennett found them he was wide open up the field but damn like you've got to be thinking if you're the db i don't i don't know what db it was but uh, the little slip there ended up putting them in a position to where they were no longer going to win the game um a single score game georgia really took overall momentum there it's crazy to see college football momentum swings in college football are crazier than any sport period like even the nba where we see three pointers galore like college football you can change a game 
yeah, the, these two games especially were just dynamite full of big-time explosive plays. You know, anybody who was hanging out on New Year's Eve watching these games, you know, definitely enjoyed themselves. Uh, just, you know, nonstop action, comebacks left and right. Uh, you know, a failed attempt for Michigan and, and Georgia able to finish it off. Just tight, tight claims. That's, uh, you know, exactly what you're hoping for in a college football playoff. And uh, it, it was fun to watch from a viewer perspective, no doubt. Um, not necessarily the way we thought. You know, we we, th- we hyped up the defenses of Georgia and Michigan and, uh, you know, it ends up being these uh, these big time shootouts. But uh, it was really fun to watch. And, you know, I, Georgia is obviously going to be favored pretty big time against TCU in the title game. But, uh, you know, I think both these teams showed that, you know, they're going to put up a fight and, uh, you know, Hopefully it is a, a pretty tight, nail-biting uh, college football championship game in a few weeks as well. Yeah, it would be very disappointing if we didn't get anything but uh, an, an incredible classic game, given the fact that the first two games coming in were very exciting. I do also think, uh, before we move on to World Juniors and Hockey Talk, and it's going to be very, very sad to see it go away from a four-team playoff. We're going to be now be seeing there's got to be some real blowouts in the, in the expanded playoff. There's no doubt about it, especially if you end up putting a, a high-end team that would have probably made the playoffs or been very close to making the playoffs against the team. Like, you know, respectfully, uh, there's some bad college football teams out there that are ranked in the top 12, top 14 right now. We've seen it uh, throughout the, the bowl season. Uh, not everybody deserves to be ranked as highly as they are. Uh, we've seen quite a few really weird, just, just disaster of a team, including a Clemson football team that, that looks just absolutely abysmal half the time when they play. And that, that's the 10 seed we're talking about. Kansas State got absolutely dominated by Alabama. Um, that would have probably ended up being a, a playoff game or very close to a playoff game with the expanded uh, the expanded rules and everything. So uh, I think we're looking forward long-term. It's going to be sad to see them go away from the top four, uh, seeing what we had here. The potential for this to happen uh, down the road creates such an interesting dynamic that no longer exists after that. But um, just regardless, really happy with how college football bowl season has gone and really happy with uh, what ended up being, you know, I guess you could say a very deserving Georgia team against a very deserving TCU team who I think a lot of people would have said, oh, like this team doesn't even deserve to make the playoffs after losing uh, their final game of the season. So uh, just in general, college football, uh, the best it's ever been for me in terms of my my uh, appeal, the appeal to me as a casual viewer, somebody who we got to watch Miami win five games this year. Um, I've been able to stick with it, been able to really enjoy college football games. Uh, college football, truly the premium product, better than the NFL half the time. Uh, when it comes to playoff time, especially better than the NFL, no doubt. Um, we'll take it. We'll really take it. Usually uh, I'm expecting some, some disaster. We didn't get any disaster here, so I'm happy with that. Any last any thoughts on college football before you move on to hockey? No, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I guess the only other game that kind of caught my eye was that Alabama-Kansas State game. It was nice to see Bryce Young. What about LSU? Yeah, LSU, they dominated as well. That was good to see. But they don't have Bryce Young. So, I mean, that's who I got my eye on. And he and Will Anderson already declared for uh, for the draft as well. So, uh, always getting myself ready for uh, for the NFL draft. And uh, it was good to see Bryce Young go out on a high note uh, against K-State. The team that beat TCU in the Big 12 title game, let us not forget. I will definitely bring up in the future that Alabama was a top-four team in the country this year and deserved a shot against Georgia. But – that's just all for fun conversation because we won't get it. So maybe that is a slight benefit of the expanded playoff, but overall I'm with you. It was fun to have just the last kind of semifinals with some banger games. Uh, it was a fun new year's Eve full of uh, some good football. So definitely enjoyed it. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to the championship game uh, next Monday.
Absolutely. And from here, I guess we can move on to our World Juniors talk because we are very far into the tournament now. I think we picked it up. This is a perfect time to be recording a podcast because we're heading into the semifinals. Uh, the quarterfinals were are up to this point, at least, you know, not over just yet. Uh, we saw the United States beat Germany by 10, which is always just a really fun reality of, of the World Juniors scene is there are not always eight teams that are worth something uh, to make it towards the quarterfinals. There will um that was a little bit of a disaster. We did see a good Finland-Sweden game, a close matchup. But, uh, you know, the Czechs beat Switzerland by an eight, which I, I guess the, the Czech team is as good as advertised in terms of being right up there. Maybe not with the Canners and USAs of the world, but a very, very dominant team nonetheless. And we move on to what ends up being, I, I think you would have said, outside of Finland, which is a little bit, um, it's a little bit surprising, although, you know, you're playing Sweden. These are two teams that are consistently always there, consistently always creating talent. Uh, we're gonna be, we're gonna have a couple really good teams make it through. It's nice to see the USA not blow it early on, uh, as something that we talked about to, as in our uh, preview show. A um, little bit of disaster uh, in the one in August. The August tournament was very, very bad for Team USA just in general. It was a, a real letdown uh, given the fact that they lost to a Czech team, and we also saw. Um, some really weird matchups like August tournament had Sweden playing Latvia, a Latvia team that is really not very good. Um, most of the time, at least they have some, some talent here and there, but this year's final or this year's quarterfinal, uh, you know, pretty solid. I think what you would have expected happen and now going, moving forward. Um, it looks like there's definitely opportunity for a, a USA finals run, which was always interesting for USA hockey when they make the, something's different. It just it just feels different. Like I'll root for them, like I'll root for the Rangers in the in the playoffs. Like that's that's the type of uh, it gives me it gives me national pride that I don't get in other other sports or other uh, other worlds usually. But just in general, really, just you, have you enjoyed this World Juniors first off? Because it's been really high scoring and it's been really high action from a lot of the the high end players. Obviously, Connor Connor Bedard, like literally the greatest the greatest Canadian player ever to play in the World Juniors. How did that happen? How did we get here? Yeah, it's been really fun. And it's also been a little unpredictable. And maybe at this point, you know, now we're starting to see Canada and the US and this and the Swedes kind of hitting their stride right now. Czechia as well has been great. Uh, but there have been some upsets along the way, too, which has been interesting. You know, we've seen Slovak pull off an upset, uh, Swiss at, at different points in uh, in the prelims pull off upsets. So it's made it really kind of entertaining hockey to, to watch and follow. But now here we are, you know, as you said, quarterfinals, uh, you know, we, we know the results of uh, a lot of those games at this point. And uh, it's been fun, especially Especially on the American side, I mean, Logan Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud to me are the two guys that have stood out the absolute most, uh, you know, for Cooley, uh, you know, an opportunity for him uh, to, as you said, bounce back, you know, it was an early loss in the quarterfinals guy who was picked third overall and, uh, you know, is definitely one of the top prospects in all of the NHL for uh, the Arizona Coyotes. So it's been fun to see him really kind of take the reins of that top line and, and be as dominant as he's been. Uh, he set up some just unbelievable plays uh, during the course of, uh, of this run that they've had. So love the top six from the Americans. Uh, that we've seen, you know, a lot of high flying action from them. So I uh, have really enjoyed that side of things. And um, yeah, it's been uh, off balance as well. I think the checks have kind of been the biggest surprise to me in terms of quality play. Uh, they had the kind of the big shocker where, uh, you know, the first game of the tournament, they go and knock off Canada five to two, uh, which was interesting. And the only time we've seen them lose was in overtime to, to, to Sweden uh, in the, in the prelims, they smacked Swiss today uh, in their quarterfinal matchup. So uh, who knows, maybe Czechia is starting to kind of gain some ground, uh, you know, 
know, come a little bit closer to some of those European countries like Sweden and Finland, uh, you know, Finland already knocked out. So an opportunity for Czech to, you know, continue to kind of take steps up, which is really kind of fun uh, to see uh, in this tournament. So still a little bit of ways to go uh, with the semifinals uh, and finals, of course, which uh, we'll recap next weekend. But uh, it's been really, really fun hockey to watch in uh, in Moncton and Halifax uh, for this world championship. The fan support's been really good over there. So uh, good crowds is, is always fun to see. I know a lot of that's been the feedback. We didn't necessarily see this in Edmonton in August and kind of a weird, uh, you know, uh, abbreviated tournament uh, after the, uh, the the suspension of the tournament uh, due to COVID last December. But um, this one, kind of a regular tournament. It's been fun and exciting hockey and uh, a little bit unpredictable along the way too. Yeah, definitely. Um, a couple things just want to touch on. Yes, the, the attendance is is so it's so different. It's night and day actually having fans that want to be there. Uh, previously, obviously, the, the weird tournament in August, you kind of expected it to be strange. Uh, obviously, there were uh, a lot more concerns at the time. But given now, I think we're, we're kind of past uh, what those issues were. And I wanted to mention uh, Czechia, the only time they lost, as you mentioned, uh, against Sweden, Sweden. Uh, who we talked about as a potential, um, you know, the goaltending may end up letting them down a little bit. It ends up uh, Carl Lindbaum, as mentioned previously, somebody that I, I um, circled as a player that I had read a lot about and seen a lot about is currently leading um, the world juniors in save percentage outside of uh, Germany's goaltender is no longer, no longer playing. Obviously he only played two games, uh, but 94 save percentage. He's a 942 currently not bad. You'll take that, especially given the, the competition uh, they kind of did, Get, I would have said watching that Czech game uh, that the Czech kind of dominated Sweden a little bit, which is so out of character based on what you'd expect given Sweden is the the definition of we're going to play structured hockey. We're going to uh, we're going to outplay everybody, whether we score or outscore everybody is a little bit different. But I think we see Sweden teams time and time again consistently uh, just having a little bit stronger in terms of a structured approach. And it's been really interesting to see a Czech team, as you mentioned before, like we're talking about guys like Yuri Kulich, who you mentioned in the, in the uh, our pre-tournament preview as a, an X factor, uh, no doubt he's going to perform and he has done everything he needs to. Uh, I believe he's one of the, the highest uh, goal creating uh, expected goals players of the tournament so far, which is crazy considering you would expect that to be an entirely team Canada. Um, they usually dominate. Uh, we've seen uh, Connor Bedard has got 18 points. In, in the tournament you know he's got 12 assists he's got more assists than anybody else uh combined you could put two players together nobody matches him which is crazy to think about but just in general like it is really surprising to me to see a czech team so not not just like winning games but dominant performances every time like how do you go against a switzerland team who is consistently pretty good i would say uh, maybe not a, a top tier team that you have to rely on to to be making it to the semifinals and finals but a, the first round you expect germany to get you know, I, I didn't want to say you, you expect Germany to get beat and beat pretty bad, but you don't expect that out of a Switzerland team and the, the Czechs, maybe they're, they're the one team that we need to be like, like, Oh, Canada doesn't want to play them. USA doesn't want to play them. Nobody wants to play this team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you said it. I mean, the Czechs, I, I think in game one, when they knocked off Canada, it really stood out how strong of a defense they had. We knew about David Juracek, you know, a, a former first round pick, but uh, Stanislav Svozil has really stood out to me in this tournament. He's been incredible on the back end uh, for Czech. Uh, in this tournament. And you said, I mean, Yuri Kulich, you know, anytime he plays international competition, you would kind of just expect him to dominate. Uh, he had nine goals in the U18s in six games uh, last year. And, you know, even continued that up, uh, played in the world juniors as an underager last year and had eight points in seven games. So uh, to see him continue to dominate this year really just kind of falls in line with, uh, you know, what a great player he's been in, in international competitions for the Czech. So uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been very fascinating to, to follow how dominant they've been uh, this tournament. And uh, we'll 
see if they can keep it going all the way to uh, either the finals or all the way to the gold medal. Yeah, as you mentioned, Swozel, uh, third rounder, Columbus prospect. They've got to be sort of excited about that, given the fact that you throw a third rounder and he's going out there dominating a tournament yeah. against the best young prospects in the world. You'll take that. Um, we will touch on the World Juniors, what happens moving forward. We don't have all the matchups yet, given the fact that Canada and Slovakia still uh, in there's a decision there. Obviously, you would assume that Canada will win and move on, but uh, we've seen crazier things happen. Uh, we can move oh, over. And at, and at time of recording, Donnie, Connor Bedard just scored for Canada. So that's pretty on, on cue for, for that to happen. I mean, you know, as expected, you know, the, the best player of the tournament dominating, who who would have guessed it? Wouldn't have been me, obviously. Um, yeah, we will expect, uh, hopefully we get a Canada-USA matchup, whether it's this round or the finals. Uh, there's definitely potential for it. I, I do I think we could definitely say the USA has put together um, a, a nice bounce back tournament uh, given the, the failures of last one. So we'll go from there. Uh, we'll talk about that again next week, but the NHL, we did see the winter classic today. It just ended about an hour ago uh, from time of recording. It was an interesting game, um, maybe a little bit slower and more sloppy than you would have hoped, uh, but it is Fenway park. You know, the ice was good, not great. You know, kind of what you expect uh, the Bruins end up having, a nice little comeback in the third period, thanks to some grindy goals in front of the net by Jake DeBrusque, who has done everything and more asked of him this year. And we saw a, a very, very close ending. Evgeny Malkin almost scored as time expired. Would have been really interesting had they had an extra second. I think all he needed was maybe 1.2, 1.3 more seconds to score the puck. Um, but in, in general, we saw a very solid winter classic game. The Bruins moved to 29 4 and 4 on the year, which is uh, bizarre. To say at 29, 4 and 4 is incredibly hard to, to accomplish. That, that's a, a 40 game sample size. You're talking about Linus Olmark has lost one game this year outside of an overtime loss. He's got one regulation loss. Um, the, the clearly the favorite for the Vezina without even a doubt. Uh, what did you see in the winter classic? Did you enjoy the game? Were you a little bit surprised at how slow, uh, low event it was to start off? Anything you got from that? Yeah, I thought it was interesting uh, to kind of follow this game, you know, a cool venue, obviously, at Fenway Park. And we know how good the Bruins have been, not only this season, but especially at home. And, uh, you know, they've been good at TD Garden. They're good at Fenway Park. So they're just good everywhere. Uh, you know, Jake DeBrusque really, um, you know, kind of was a big factor, obviously, scoring both goals for Boston this game for uh, why they were able to get it done. But, I mean, I, I really, it kind of comes back to me. You know, I'm still like, uh, you know, the Bruins have been so, so good this year. You know, Jim Montgomery, head coach in his first year, um, you know, with the Bruins after, you know, you know, he, he was the head coach in Dallas. He was an assistant with St. Louis, but um, you know, this is kind of his, his first time where he's been an incredibly dominant head coach. And uh, you know, I think he definitely deserves a lot of the credit for uh, you know, how Boston has been able to kind of turn things around and, and, you know, what is a lot of a, a similar roster to what we saw last year with Bruce Cassidy, but uh, Montgomery's really been pressing all the right buttons and uh, the Bruins have been as dominant as we've seen, uh, you know, an NHL team. Uh, they, they've been pretty on par with what we, we saw a lot of the year from the avalanche last year. And I don't necessarily think they have as much depth as what we we saw from Colorado, um, you know, uh, last season. So uh, we'll see how long, uh, you know, the Bruins, if they're just going to keep kind of chugging along, because it doesn't seem like much uh, is really kind of slowing them down at this point. Yeah, you know, this is a Bruins team that not only leads the league in goals for, but also the best goals against team in the league. So you really can't argue with the dominant performance you're getting uh, out, out of these players, especially the older guys. It's really crazy to see the dominance of Patrice Bergeron, maybe not always an offensive force, but a guy that will consistently tell you, um, yeah, you're not scoring. Like, we're going to shut you down. They've done a terrific job being able to adapt to some of the older guys that they've added on, like 
David Krejci and Taylor Hall just played good hockey this year. They have a very good uh, top nine. The bottom line kind of does their, the trick. They they get in the quarters and they hit. It's really interesting to see the Bruins bounce back. And I think a lot of people, uh, us included, not necessarily saying we were going to say, oh, they're going to miss the playoffs, but uh, the Bruins were definitely a team that we kind of wrote off as a top end, number one, like they're going to win the conference type team. And now it looks like um, outside of a team that we're going to talk about in a second, the Hurricanes, they look like very clearly um, – maybe on pace to have one of the best seasons ever in terms of just an 82 game season in NHL, which is crazy given the fact they fired their coach after a pretty successful season last year. Um, I guess from here, we can talk about the hurricanes, as I mentioned them previously, who had the greatest month you could imagine out of a, an NHL team. They dropped one point in 13 games. They've won 11 straight now, uh, 56 points. They're six points behind the Bruins, who have been good all year. They have taken over the Metro. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Devils were kind of holding on to the top a little bit. Now it is very firmly in the Hurricanes' hands. Uh, they're up seven points on the Devils, nine on the Capitals, 10 on the Rangers, 12 on the Penguins, and the Islanders. Really interesting to see the Hurricanes dominate, especially given the fact that we haven't even seen the Hurricanes at their fullest, most uh, maybe talented potential. They've still got a couple guys we're waiting to see, including, um, which is it's scary to think about, but they're very, very soon. You have to be expecting Max Pacioretty back, and Jake Gardner will play hockey at some point as well too, which would help them given the fact that I think they're playing Jalen Chatfield or Dylan Coughlin every night. So it's crazy to think about, but this Hurricanes team, is even better than we would have expected. They've played stronger hockey than we would have expected, and they're getting performances out of any goaltender they throw out there. Kochekov has been great. Ronta has been great. Anderson was very good when he played the sparing amount that he did. The Hurricanes are crazy legit, are they not? Yeah, I, I think it's a really well-built team. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen it over the last few years. You know, they've been a regular team that's, you know, been making the playoffs. They had an Eastern Conference final run, uh, and they're really well-coached. Rod Brindamore, you know, year in, year out, you know, he's uh, he's going to be as good as they come uh, behind the bench. So uh, I think really where the Canes have gotten that big boost, you mentioned the goaltending and uh, Peter Kochetkov. I mean, wow, like we talked about the Calder race a, a couple of podcasts ago, but he has just absolutely vaulted himself right into that conversation up there, um, you know, with Matty Ben years uh you know for that conversation but you know just been incredibly dominant for carolina uh you know obviously we weren't necessarily sure how they were going to respond without freddie anderson but um you know there haven't been any many questions about it since with uh with how dominant they've been so uh yeah i think uh that you know carolina is uh you know definitely a team that's got to be thinking cup this year uh and they could still be even uh, aggressive at the deadline even though they still are going to get max petcheretti back and jake gardner back and andre kasha back potentially as well so uh i think there's a lot to like with Carolina um you know they've got great structure and uh the fact they've gotten such a big boost in that uh I think has been you know all relevant things to why you know Carolina projects to be uh you know one of the top Stanley Cup threats in the NHL yeah it is interesting to look at I, I think you can say the East is definitely stronger than the West this year sure. maybe totally. not crazy to say that given the fact that they've been stronger the last couple of years uh but we're really seeing it uh, the Leafs have played really good hockey. The Lightning have been a little bit underwhelming, I guess you would say, uh, given the expectations, but they've been very good. And we've even seen the Metro's got six teams that should very well be playoff teams, or at least like if they were in the West, they would be cruising into what likely a division spot. Um, we're going to see the Metro really fight it out. Uh, just in general, been a really good hockey season so far. We're about at the half point, halfway point. I think next week, a couple weeks from now, we can really uh, look back at this, maybe make some predictions for what we think will end up happening at the end of the year, because I, I think, the, the men and the boys have kind of separated themselves a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. Obviously uh, we've got a full half season of hockey left, which is crazy because I feel like this season has been, um, there's been a lot of seasons so far, 
we, we've definitely seen a lot of ups and downs. There's been a lot of weird things to look at, but uh, I think we can touch on that moving forward long-term. Anything about the NHL season, about the halfway point that you've seen that's been like a little bit maybe surprising or, or shocking to you at all? Yeah, I think uh, just kind of overall, I think that, you know, I, I obviously expected the Avalanche to be in a little bit better position than they've been at this point. Injuries obviously play a big factor into that with the Avalanche. And, uh, you know, they're still in a you know division that, you know, as you said, Western Conference not as strong. So not really a huge concern that the Avalanche will be able to get there or even make some damage when they do get there into the playoffs. But I'm um, just kind of expected them to be, you know, a little bit stronger, even given all the uh, adversity they faced. But uh, nothing necessarily too, too, uh, you know, concerning there. Uh, I don't think overall. And uh, yeah, like uh, even just going back to Carolina, you know, that was a team I really liked coming into the year, picked them to win it all. And uh, yeah, I really have no reason to kind of backtrack on that. Um, even with how good Boston's playing, I think Carolina is still built, uh, you know, to have a lot of success in uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs and could make for some uh, some pretty fun series, especially in the East. If, you know, all these top teams are kind of loaded up, uh, you know, those first two, three rounds, uh, you know, if you're a team and, and you can lock up that one seed in your division, you're a Boston, you're a Carolina, and you can, you know, win a series in four or five games that could prove pretty valuable to you because you might have some six or seven games in there uh, a couple of times later on too so uh you know just kind of keeping an eye on uh overall uh player health obviously but um definitely think there's uh there's kind of that cream of the crop uh that's starting to emerge as you said uh at the top of the nhl yeah, yeah surprise i didn't get uh, i didn't hear a victory lap about the florida panthers given the fact that they're 42 yeah. they're on pace Girl. to have 42 less points than they did last year which is you know, a, a real detriment to Florida Panthers fans' lives, given the fact that I think you finally came on. Uh, Panthers fans last year, they really made them, made themselves known, uh, like, hey, like, where, where we exist, we have fans, we start showing up to the arena. Like, now we're talking about a Panthers team that is seventh in the Atlantic, uh, or sixth in the Atlantic, just above the Canadians. They're below the Senators and the Sabres and the Red Wings, uh, three teams. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, obviously, you I can't think... blame Matthew Kachuk. I mean, he's been by far their best player this year, and uh, that trade certainly, uh, you know, made a little bit lighter because of how good Kachuk's played. But overall, for the Panthers outside of him, it's been really rough. Yeah, it's going to be tough, especially when your goaltender who makes a billion dollars is not playing like he makes a billion dollars uh, currently at an eight ninety four save percentage for Bobrovsky, uh, three point three goals against, uh, which is crazy because I think the Panthers are generally like a pretty solid uh, team defensively, but. I guess we can talk about hockey a little bit more in the coming weeks once we hit the halfway point from here. A little bit of baseball talk before we get on to our questions slash tier lists. Uh, end of year tier lists, obviously New Year's. A happy New Year's to everybody who is listening uh, in the New Year. Obviously, that's everybody because there's not uh, a chance you'd be listening previously. But what, something that did happen in, in the last year that we still have no idea what's going to happen in this year is the Carlos Correa just tomfoolery. Uh, it's been one of the weirdest situations I think you could ever say in terms of an MLB signing uh, guy we talked about last week who uh, left. He was, he was leaving the, leaving his hotel to go to the giants press conference to announce him. And then it turned out they didn't want him anymore because there was something in his, in his, uh, I guess his medical history we're talking at this point. Uh, and currently the Mets are dealing with the same situation uh, as RK so nicely put in our, uh, our Roth pod, preview here that the Mets are concerned with Correa's right ankle which was surgically surgically repaired in 2014 when he was in the minor leagues 2014 we're talking nine yep. years ago uh, where he had a stabilizing plate inserted into his leg and it caused him a little bit of pain last September but nothing too um nothing too massive I would say didn't miss any games but I guess both the Giants and the Mets obviously we're going to be it's it's as clear as anything if the Giants medical team did not see, they saw something that they didn't like the Mets medical team was probably going to see something they didn't like as well um Steve Cohen decided hey we're gonna throw in the money anyway and they're still it sounds like they're still trying to make a contract work 
although definitely not going to be an 11 year, $300 million deal. Probably you would assume that they have a little bit of concerns on that. It would be a shorter term deal just in general with Correa. Obviously the player is worth it. There's no arguing that the player is, is nearly top tier, uh, if not top tier at his position in the league currently. And that's talking about um, what ends up being the one of the strongest position groups in the league in terms of the shortstops and Carlos Correa, like, this is a very, very strange, always, uh, we always have, there, there's one or two medical issues every year and signings that people come up with and maybe a signing doesn't work. Um, maybe not in baseball, but this has like been, been the strangest like development over the last couple weeks. I'm sure Carlos Correa is sitting there like, damn, like this, this really sucks. Like, I just want to like know where I'm playing. Yeah, no doubt. And I think like, it's interesting too, because you think about Correa, like he was in this spot last year, he was a free agent, uh, leaving the Astros, and he signed a one year deal with the twins. So you know, that kind of says, you know, that kind of is a little, you know, eyebrow raised, like you wonder if anyone last offseason was like, yeah, we want to lock up Correa long term 10 year deal, 12 year deal, something like that. And maybe they say, oh, maybe not ends up signing with the twins. And uh, you know, now, uh, obviously, we're in this situation, you know, we thought he was going to go to the Giants, we said in the last podcast, we thought he was going to go to the Mets on a 12 year deal. And um, that's really kind of the issue is, is the term of the deal, I would say, because if you're not comfortable with long term health, why are you offering a 12 year deal? So uh, you wonder if the resolution is maybe just, you know, a five, year deal or a four-year deal or something a little bit lighter but i'm sure for carlos correa he's thinking man i want to i want to lock up my my big money now um so it's definitely understandable on both sides scott boris uh you know the agent for carlos correa you know one of the uh, more renowned agents in baseball has a lot of top clients so you know he's very well connected but you know what other team is going to kind of dip into that market if any because if two teams are are concerned about uh you know the the ankle situation with correa uh you know why would they want to get in on the bidding and uh you know increase um you know, their payroll with a guy that, you know, other teams are concerned if he's even going to be on the field for a lot of that. So still no resolution at, at this time. We thought he was going to go to the Mets, still may end up going to the Mets. But uh, at this point in time, Correa is still out there and, uh, you know, waiting to find uh, out where he'll end up. Yeah, it's really bizarre to me that uh, you brought up a good point last year. There was no talk of anybody having issues with his medical history, at least like there, there was no uh, issues with his physical. They signed him for a year, obviously. Uh, well, they signed him for a couple of years, but he opted out. This is kind of how this works. Uh, right. There was no issues with the physical at all. Never heard a single word about that. And now two teams both find the same issues. Um, definitely weird. I, I'm sure Correa will end up a Met still. I think that they're, they're pretty committed to keeping him because uh, as Steve Cohen has said, so like, we needed the bat. They need, they need the extra bat. I think it puts them over the top, uh, but so, so bizarre. And, and again, uh, Carlos Correa is kind of villain to a lot of fans. He's, he's uh, a key part of the, the trash bang uh, fuckery, I think is the best way to put it with Houston Astros and their championship. But you kind of got to feel for Carlos Correa. He's a, he's a human being, and this is a really weird situation. Something that he didn't necessarily have anything to do with. Like 2014, dude. Yeah, and, and he's been incredibly healthy, you know, over over the last three seasons, especially. Uh, he's played 89% of his team's games. Like, you know, he's like, dude, I can play through this ankle injury. It's not concerning. But obviously where the Mets and Giants are concerned is like, well, how's this going to be when you're in your mid-30s, when you're in your late 30s, when we're still paying you, you know, a lot of money to be a big contributor on our team? Can you still be that everyday player at that point? So obviously for Correa, he feels that he can. But, uh, you know, I, I think the resolution will end up just being a shorter-term deal. I don't see a way in which a team is, is comfortable giving him over you know seven eight nine years uh you know given how things have played out so far but uh you know i guess time will tell on that it, just in general i think it's probably the smarter thing to not give a player that long uh, term contract anyway so not a huge yeah. deal 
but I guess from you're gonna here, kill out a lockout over all that. Too, I, right? I mean, we, we've seen we've seen it all the time. We see it every every year, whether it's the NBA, the NBA really they love giving out these massive contracts to everybody just for fun. Like it seems like everybody gets a a, a long term deal if you have any type of post. But MLB has really come to the point where everybody's getting a decade long contract. They're getting three hundred million dollars. This offseason was has been clearly I, I'd say in terms of our lifetimes the most just just. Uh, frivolous we're just throwing money seeing what happens um baseball is an interesting spot maybe time will tell with baseball in terms of you know the, the whole money buys championships thing because we're really at a point where if you thought the yankees were trying to buy championships for all those years the mets are really just they're going all out to try to buy championships even with this this whole korea thing without korea they're still got a 440 million dollar payroll so I mean, you know, it comes to a point where uh, Daddy Steve Cohen's out here really just throwing his money around like nobody, nobody cares. Uh, apparently, you're gonna throw money around to a player that has injury concerns. But from here, RK, it's your time. This this is your this is your segment. This is your life. This is your your being here. What do we got? Yeah, this is uh this is a fun segment. It is early 2023, but we gotta look back quickly at 2022 because it's time for our top tier of albums. This is like we talk about sports like 95 percent of the time, and then we get like three percent questions and then this is the two percent where it's like okay we're talking about albums it's a yearly tradition now donnie our, our top tier of albums in a calendar year so i'm excited this is this is a fun time donnie but i'm gonna let you go first and uh go ahead and share your top tier of albums in the year 2022 yeah so obviously it's gonna start off with drake her loss it's just, it, i'm a drake fan it's how it's gonna be drake was uh as was 75 percent of spotify listeners he was my top artist of the year uh, it's unfortunate but uh his the music is very catchy i can't do anything about it the mu- it's very well produced i'm i'm a sucker for good production i've always been a sucker for good production last year i talked about how i loved good production it just my, kind of been my thing um i really enjoy having uh solid melodies in the background and then uh drake makes hits 21 savage makes hits not really a question there um i also added don fm who's on your honorable mention list uh, i just wanted to mention that uh i I'm not the biggest weekend fan in the world. I'm going to be honest here. We have a, a friend, our friend Brett loves the weekend and makes every character online that he possibly can look like the weekend. If you've seen his uh, GTA character, he's got a very, very, uh, he's got a lookalike there. Uh, NBA, also his 2K character looks just like Abel, which is really weird. It's very strange. Let's just, let's just be honest here. Let's, let's be real with ourselves. But uh, he made a very good album this year. Uh, I really appreciate uh, again, good production. The weekend, you kind of know you're getting good production. His voice is incredible. Uh, I think you could say, in terms of singers, uh, top five in, in the world in, in music right now, in terms of just the ability to harmonize and just kind of carry a melody, even when it's a very boring or, or slow melody in the background, he's going to come out there and he's going to like blow you away with his crazy ass voice. And I think that's something you have to respect, even if you're not a big weekend fan or a fan of the music, um, that type of music in general, because I do think there is a lot. And, and I will tell you from from just like I, I spent a lot of time on Reddit, just looking around and seeing what people are saying. And a lot of people are not big fans of Weekend because every song sounds the same apparently in their heads. I'm okay with it. I make let it sound the same for me if if I like it, fine with me. Um, third, I've got four. One of them is going to really surprise you. Third, uh, Kendrick Lamar's album this year, Mr. Where All the Big Steppers. Obviously, he makes classics. It's really nice to have him back and making music. Yes. It, it's really weird how artists just disappear for all these years and then they come back and they still have good music obviously i guess you don't fall apart you don't lose your talent or anything it's not like an nfl player leaves for five years comes back <laughs> and can't play like terrell owens if he came back he'd be it's not russell wilson it's not russell wilson. <laughs> there's no russell wilson in it. but i really enjoyed um because there, there is a lot of uh there's a mixture of whether you're getting a kodak black song which doesn't really seem like it would fit kendrick lamar's like vibe um 
worked perfectly. I really enjoy listening to Kodak Black, although anything else that's not Kendrick Lamar, Kodak Black, I'm not going to listen to because I think Kodak Black is a very mediocre artist, but it works very well. Uh, outside of that, obviously, uh, Kendrick will come in with a little bit of the, oh, you got to think about my music. You got you to sit here and really uh, compartmentalize everything that's going on. Um, he's done a very good job and it's, it's interesting to see he's kind of propped up baby Keem into a, a point where baby Keem is like a worldwide world renowned superstar artist. Now um, they are obviously related. So, you know, props to Kendrick for, for helping the family out a little bit, uh, a lot of respect there. And finally, I'm going to go with Stormzy's album. This is what I mean. It came out last month. This is a UK rapper. RK probably has no idea who Stormzy is uh, realistically. I listen to a lot of, of uh, UK rap. This is a, a Def Jam artist from the UK. Uh, maybe one of the most popular, if not the most popular, like it wouldn't necessarily call it trap rap, but I would call it very heavy, um, heavy instrumentals uh, come with, with a very strong, um, a strong, powerful voice rapping over them uh, consistently has on solid uh, artists. But this one was a solely, uh, Stoli Stormzy album, which is really interesting because he's usually one of those artists, which there are a lot of artists that can't really function without a, a, a at least like a little break in there with a, a secondary artist, you know, have a little feature in there. Uh, he kind of ran things on his own. I really appreciated um, the way that he approached music. I think it came out on Thanksgiving this year. So a little late year uh, addition to the list. But I'm going to go with my that as my top four. I didn't want to go any further. I really enjoyed some of the uh, songs from uh, a couple of your uh, albums that you have listed. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you take it away here. Give us give, what are we? What are you talking? What's your top tier here? All right, this is exciting. I mean, I, I remember doing this one time, and I literally had like eight albums in my top tier, which I have no regrets for. That's totally allowed in tears, and I may do that in the future. Definitely reserving that right. But this year, <laughs> I only have four albums in my top tier of albums, so it could be classified as a Mount Rushmore. I will make that designation. But I've got four echoing Donnie's "Her Lost," Drake "Twenty One Savage." I mean, what a masterclass album that was. I mean, you really just can't go wrong. Drake, most consistent artist in the game. It's not even close. Every year, you know, you're getting a banger album from Drake. So he again gets the nod, and when he's with 21 savage i mean come on like that's that's just a no-brainer that's a lock heroes and villains probably my top album of the year if i have to top tier my top tier i would go with heroes and villains metro boomin i mean wow this album is just sensational left and right the production as donnie said you got you know different artists you're listening to don toliver one second you're listening to you know uh, uh so many different artists right? like it's just insane future is fire in that album for sure as well so heroes and villains metro boomin you know end of the year came with some heat in clutch time. So shout out to Metro, Heroes and Villains, Fire album, definitely in the top tier. Got to go with Gunna as well. This was an earlier album in 2022, DS Forever, but thought there were some bangers in there. Push and P, my top song of the year, without a doubt. So shout out to Gunna. He's out of jail now, so I can uh, I can legally say that I listened to his music again, which feels great. And then the last album for me, I'm going with a kid named Cuddy, Kid Cuddy. He actually dropped two albums this year, but I actually like a kid named Cuddy a little bit more than the, the boy who flew to the moon. I will say, did not like this album as much as Man on the Moon 3, which I had two years ago fire album i would like still put this there if it was in 2022 but it wasn't but i'll still give kid cuddy a shout he's the man and uh kid named cuddy had some uh had some bangers on there for sure donnie mentioned one of my honorable mentions in don fm for the weekend gotta shout that one out and also future as album i never liked you thought that was a good album as well i'm actually very rarely like a big future fan like futures needs to be on like a feature or it needs to be like superhero with metro boomin for me to get into it but thought this was a pretty good solo future album so i'll give him just the honorable mention designation in this one but uh there we go top tier of albums just to sum it up one last time 2022 her loss drake and 21 savage heroes and villains by metro boomin ds forever my gunna and a kid named cuddy kid cuddy gotta go with that very happy with that list it was a good year for music for 2022 and uh yeah let's get some let's get some more bangers in 2023
Yeah, I can get behind that, honestly. Usually, RK comes with some stupid stuff. Obviously, I'm not a big Kid Cudi fan, um, so I'm, I'm always going to challenge him on the Kid Cudi stuff. But I, I respect it. I truly do. Uh, this, is a, this is a good man, RK. This is, you're, you're a good man for that one. I appreciate your list this year a little bit more than I did in previous years. I think you're, you're spot on. You really nailed it. I, I felt like I condensed it you know, a little bit better, so that's good to hear. I'm, I'm happy with my choices. You know, we definitely needed a little kind of, you could, you could talk about this guy three hours music. He'd still have something for you. <laughs> RK constantly listening to music, whether it's an Xbox party in the background or just in general. Always on the Xbox party. That's always, sure. always got something. Um, Definitely respect there. RK, I guess we've got some family questions. Obviously you've spent some time with the family in recent, uh, recent days, weeks. Uh, I guess I'll leave it to you to, uh, to give us the last two here. Yeah, let's do it. Let's start with my dad asking us about college football. So we'll kind of take it all full circle. He actually asked me this question in person when we were in Christmas time together, and he wanted us to talk about who we thought would make the college football playoff championship game. Well, that really doesn't matter much anymore. We know it's Georgia and TCU. So, Donnie, let's just give our predictions. Who do you got in the TCU-Georgia game uh, overall to win the national title? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I I do think uh, coming into this one, Georgia is a heavy favorite. And I'm not talking just like a favorite. I'm talking like two touchdown favorite. Um, and I think you have to kind of uh, admit Georgia is the strongest team in college football. They've been the strongest team in college football for the last two years. Not really a question there. So I think I'll take Georgia. I don't think uh, a two touchdown spread makes a whole lot of sense. Like it seems a little bit uh, disrespectful maybe. And this is, this is uh, a team that has been named one of the top two teams in college football, regardless of how good Georgia is. Uh, TCU shows that fight. They've got a little bit of underdog spirit in them. They've got a little bit of heart. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say Georgia probably wins like maybe at like a 34-27 game, something like that. Uh, I do expect TCU to be able to uh, take advantage of Georgia's defense as uh, we've seen last week. We saw Ohio State do a good job of kind of exploiting some of their issues. Obviously, C.J. Stroud, uh, they don't have a C.J. Stroud. Uh, Max D is going to try his best. Probably not going to be able to replicate that performance with C.J. Stroud, but I do think you have to give a little bit of credit to TCU regardless. I think two touchdown spread is ridiculous. Um, it could end up being a, a blowout of a game. I'm not saying it's going to be a close game or anything, but I think the, the championship game being a 14-point, like how did we why yeah i'm with you uh on that analysis pretty much spot on i think georgia wins the game i think tcu covers the spread i think a more appropriate spread would be like seven or eight uh, more so than 13 is what i'm looking at right now two touchdown spread seems like a little bit much uh i will say you know Ohio state uh you know uh, all things considered i think they still do have a little bit more dynamic of an offense even though we've seen a lot from tcu in terms of duggan and johnson and miller whoever it is tcu has been able to you know churn some things out but i just still think like man sec georgia is still just a little bit different like i think back when they smacked tennessee you know everyone was going into that game tennessee number one team we're like oh look out hooker and hyatt and tillman like watch out for this tennessee high flying offense and you know that game was in georgia but georgia you know pretty much took it to them so i don't necessarily think that georgia's defense will put up a replicate performance of what we saw against ohio state where they struggled as much as they did uh really excited for keely ringo against quentin johnson i think ringo is actually stock has dropped a little bit coming into the year he was probably a top corner uh coming into the class still think there's a good chance he goes in the first round but uh haven't necessarily been super super impressed with his play uh you know over the course of this season but it'll still be a really really fun matchup uh and i think georgia ends up coming out uh on top and uh, you know get back-to-back national titles which is uh is pretty insane but uh obviously written for a close game and uh and a tcu cover but um i just think when it all comes down to it uh you know georgia they're they're the top team so uh, i'm not gonna pick against them yeah i think it's hard to pick against them just period i, I think you'd be foolish to say anything else i just 
I've never, I've never really imagined a 14 point spread being realistic in a championship game. If you, if the Super Bowl is a 14 point spread, I, the Giants were never a 14 point dog against the Patriots. I can guarantee you that it was, it was close to, I believe it was like 10 or 11, um, the, the undefeated year, but it just seems I, I get it's college football. I get it's different. Obviously, NFL is a little bit tighter, more skilled game, a little bit slower. Teams uh, kind of clock manage a little bit better, but it just it really just that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit because it opened up at 14 and a half or 15 points, which is just insanity to me. Crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It was a, a big spread that I uh, I wasn't necessarily expecting, but I, I just think, you know, it's like I want to, you know, I'll probably be rooting for TCU just so they can kind of keep it close, but uh, I just can't get myself to, to necessarily pick them to win the national title straight up. So uh, I'm going with the dogs to, uh, to get back-to-back titles. Yeah, and I guess from here, the final question from your mom, I'll let you answer it first because I answered the top tier albums first. What are your favorite sports memories of 2022? I guess we'll take the top tier of sports memories out of you. What do you got? Yeah, I think uh, I definitely have a couple. A lot of them relate to, you know, personal teams that I was working on. But at the top, I'm actually going to go with the L.A. Rams winning the Super Bowl, which was interesting because that was a pick I had from the start of the year. And I actually bet on the Rams at a time when I was allowed to bet on sports, putting that out there, NCAA. But I won some money on the Rams, so shout out. That was a, that was pretty hype, uh, even though, you know, I'm not a Rams fan. But uh, I picked them to win the cha- win the Super Bowl, and, and they came through for me. So uh, shout out to the Rams. That was, uh, that was fun to see them cap off. It was a fun team, too. Cooper Cup, easy guy got a root for so it was good to see the rams uh end up winning the super bowl other than that uh random sports memories on teams i was a part of this year you know ontario junior reigns similar geographic area to the la rams uh we had kind of a fun finish to our season we we had to win our last regular season game against the san diego sabers to get into the playoffs and we ended up doing that in a one goal game stopped a penalty shot that the sabers had in the last few minutes to end up winning that game by one dramatic game so that was fun uh getting to the playoffs with the uh ontario junior reign playoffs didn't go so good for us but uh, no one on our team really expected us to make the playoffs, so it was nice to have a couple more weeks of uh, of Southern California hockey uh, while I had it earlier this season. And then last one for me, this one involves both my parents. They were at the Colgate-Harvard game uh, earlier this year, uh, or I guess technically 2022, uh, last year now, but uh, it was a crazy game. Colgate led uh, going into the third period, 3-0, ended up blowing the game. They go down 4-3 in the third period, but they fought back, scored a late goal to tie it, uh, and then scored the game winning goal with literally like three four or five seconds left uh on just an unbelievable pass uh from our captain danielle serdachny so that was awesome that was a fun game uh to be a part of and uh and working so always a little bit more juice when uh when you're on that kind of sideline you go into the locker room after uh, a big win uh, or uh, a bus ride whatever it is uh in both those cases it was bus rides for me but um definitely two of the uh more personal sports memories outside of the uh you know big picture pro sports which we talk about all the time here on roadie on the horn uh giving a shout out to the la Rams. so it was a good year for sports Let's hope for uh, a lot more success here in 2023, though. Donnie, I'll pass it off to you. What do you got? Top sports memories of the year past 2022. Yeah, obviously, my top moment was going to Colgate Princeton women's hockey. Uh, (laughs) I really I had a good time. I enjoyed that. But uh, my realist, I had four Stafford was on my list for sure. It was nice to see Matt Stafford finally come out on top because it's a I root for players that grind. They spend a lot of time uh, trying to get to the the pinnacle of their sport. Uh, Matt Stafford had a lot of. there was a lot of negativity around him. There was a lot of, a lot of doubters, a lot of people that were very rude about Matt Stafford. Um, so I really appreciated that. Obviously that was a great team. Uh, Odell got to get his ring. Always nice. You know, I root for Odell uh, time and time again. Uh, my others uh, end of the year, Messi winning the world cup. It was really interesting. A very good game. One of the greatest soccer games I'll ever watch. One wow. of the greatest soccer games anybody will ever watch. Um, very, very uh, back and forth, crazy. Just, uh, you know, obviously Kylian Mbappe would, would not, 
would not say die, which is uh, obviously very respect after winning a couple of years ago. But it was nice to see Little Messi get his. Um, Serena Williams in her U.S. Open run. I was very, very invested in watching this, which is crazy because I do not care about the sport in the slightest. I don't care about tennis. But there's always something about watching the GOAT of their sport, uh, the GOAT of their respective sport uh, in their last event or last tournament. Serena was a heavy underdog in multiple uh, multiple of her matches. Didn't end up winning at all, but she made a nice run. And it was nice to see. Um, you, you see glimpses of greatness out of 40, 41, 42-year-old athletes all the time. We see it at Tom Brady weekend week out uh, especially you know this week obviously but it's nice to see old athletes that are dominant in sports that are dominated by younger players uh, tennis is, is very clearly a younger man or younger women's sport uh, just athletics you know your body breaks down a little bit you run side to side you're going to have more uh, athleticism when you are younger that's how it is it was nice to see a go to the sport uh, kind of sort of just like throw it back for a couple matches I tuned into every single uh, every single second of Serena Williams final run uh, at the U.S. Open, it was interesting. And her fans, the fan base was crazy. I've never seen uh, tennis fans gather and cheer for one. Obviously, if you were playing at Serena Williams, you had to be sitting there like, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me here because they just, yeah. they're cheering for this. They're cheering for Serena every time. Um, that was respect, obviously. And finally, Dodgers legend Albert Pujols finally getting uh, to a mark that I wasn't sure he was going to get to, especially given the fact that I think that the last couple years of his career were uh it, it was sketch it was real sketch uh, from time to time but he got the 700 he didn't just get the 700 he got the 700 fairly easily at the end of the year it seemed like he was cruising to a point where he had no issues dominating uh it was unfortunate that they kind of had a a, uh, a very short you know playoff run it was not it would have been nice to see albert pools maybe make a deep run into the playoff. imagine albert pools world series game seven home run would have been like oh like this this is a crazy way um but it, as a moment a non-championship a moment that didn't really end up mattering a whole lot in terms of the results and, and outcome of the season but something that uh, a player that i think most of, of you and i especially but our, our era our generation grew up admiring even as a cubs fan you had to be like wow that's that's our pools like that's the man um the machine did it for such a long time uh, who knows how old he is because obviously we've, we've had some questions there but that is a man who has time and time again done what he had to do he was a great dodger really enjoyed having his presence on the team and i mean we're talking about a guy that was 42 um hitting his 700 home run crazy crazy moments um really nice to see him bounce back his final year i think he definitely could have played uh, like two or two or three more years how he's played this year but um, just one of my favorite moments, a, a feel good moment, if that, I would say. Yeah, I like the pool shout. I was in uh, St. Louis for a good part of this summer. Got to go to a couple Cardinals games. And uh, yeah, just anytime Pujol stepped to the plate, the Cardinals fans, they love him. You know, they were cheering his home run when he was on the Angels. Like, they absolutely loved him back in St. Louis for his last year. But for him to go out with Yachty, with Wainwright, you know, they had a lot of cool moments uh, at different points this year. And yeah, you said it. I, I didn't think Pujols was going to get there to 700, you know, a couple of years ago. I was like, no way. But, uh, you know, he, it seemed like towards the end of the year, he was hitting bombs like left and right. You're like, whoa, uh, like maybe, maybe he should kind of keep playing because uh, he's been kind of an impact bat for the Cardinals uh you know whenever he's facing left-handed pitching I guess but um yeah those are uh those are good shouts didn't expect a tennis shout out from you Donnie but uh you never fail to disappoint yeah you know obviously I had started a new job around that same time and that was a big part of just like advertising that promoing that because it was it's really interesting whenever ESPN hops on an event usually it's like the Aaron Judge home runs this year which you would be watching college football and all of a sudden Aaron Judge would come on and half the screen and you'd be like what the fuck's going on but um when ESPN jumps on a moment like that 
not like a major, super major sport. Obviously, tennis is very popular to some people, but it's not like a, an NFL. It's not going to get NFL-type views unless Serena Williams is out there in her final match uh, dominating 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds who are the, the, the peak of their uh, current sport. It just, you know, I, I like the I like the older player history. Obviously, the Albert Pujols thing is the same idea, just watching him be able to dominate. Uh, he had 25 home runs this year as a 42-year-old. Like, like you're not going to see that maybe ever again. Like, that, that's a crazy feat itself. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, definitely fun to see like the legends like continue to take down the yeah, younger dude. Players. We grew up with these players. Like Albert Pools is one of the first players you could really say we watched his entire career, yep. and he was magic his entire career. Even on the Angels, he was not great, but he was always a good player, and he was always somebody that you'd be like, oh, that's Albert. You know, he's he's a yep. man, future Hall of Famer, guaranteed, no doubt about it. Just a, somebody you want to root for. Yeah, no doubt. Those are uh, those are good ones. So yeah, I love the uh, I love the question. Been a good podcast, and uh, yeah, I mean, love uh, love all those responses there at the end. Absolutely. Obviously, we had to have a long one to wrap up the last couple of weeks. Uh, next week will be a fun one because we'll be breaking down what happens in the NFL. There's a lot of interesting NFL, um, you know, potential happenings. Hopefully, nothing too crazy because I, I don't. I don't really want to pay that close attention. The Giants have have a week off. It's kind of just like I can relax. Um, you know. It's kind of just vibe, but we'll see. Uh, outside of that, obviously, we'll we'll cover a lot of World Juniors next week. We'll have some uh, other talk on the NHL probably, uh, but from here, we're going to have to let you go. Arkan, I really appreciate everybody who did listen in 2022. We ended up, uh, we had more content than 88% of other uh, sports podcasts, sports-themed. Oh. Uh, uh, so, you know, we, we are as consistent as they come. Uh, we put out 51 episodes, 50 episodes this, this year, which is you know, pretty good. Obviously, we have some uh, we have some timing issues. RK lived in like seventeen different states. Um, <laughs> you know, you really you, you can't blame us for trying our best. Like we we obviously did did our thing, and we ended up having uh, some nice listener growth. We have a couple dozen listeners every week, which is we're just here we're just here to shoot the shit, talk some sports. Um, this is this is our life. This is this is how it works. Um, so we really appreciate everybody who listened in twenty twenty two. Hopefully, twenty twenty three is a great year for the Roth Pod. I'm sure it will be. Uh, even if nobody listens, we're still gonna put them out. So. You know, we're glad to have you here. Uh, end of podcast, folk. If you're still here, uh, we really appreciate everybody who listened this deep into the pod. Um, if you have any questions for us, feel free to send them through. We always answer pretty much anything. Um, you could, if you want to ask us about music, hey, why not? RK, I'll sit here and talk. He loves it. Hey, well, um, you got to wait a year. Next year. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's no true. music questions. That's the you, only request. You were just, you were a little bit late on the, on the music, I guess. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one to the side. But uh, we really appreciate everybody who listened. And we will talk to you again next week with another Request. podcast. Check. Check, man. You said 2022 is your year. 2023, he's promised to come on. We're still not sure, but he's going to be here next week, he says. Uh, hopefully, he really wants to talk World Juniors with us, but the schedules might not work. We'll see. Um, other than that, obviously, we really appreciate everybody who listened, and we'll talk to you again next week. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better.